Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. It's the one and only Oaksbusters call. Oaksbusters call. Join the discussion by dialing 724-4477-4. Call ID 90337. That's right. Hey, what's going on? Yo, yo, it's uh, Monday, May the 25th, 25th, teen. Well, let's see, uh, we got Bradley Report, Bradley Robert, uh, Cole Hobobo, Hucklebuck, Jimmy Boy, King of the Moon, Morris Lynn, and uh, Toshi Monitor in the in the chat right now. Oh, great, good, good. All right, cool. Um, let's see, it looks like some new identities in the chat. I haven't seen before. That's good. So what do we got here this evening? Uh, the quote is from Stephen J. Gould's Evolution's Erratic Pace, published in Natural History, Volume 86 of May of 1987, page 14, says, The extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology. The evolutionary trees that adorn our textbooks have data only at the tips and nodes of their branches. The rest is inference however reasonable, not the evidence of fossils. We fancy ourselves as the only true students of life's history, yet to preserve our favorite account of evolution by natural selection, we view our data as so bad that we never see the very process we profess to study. That was from Stephen J. Gould. Uh, he lived from 1941 to May 20th of 2002. He was an American paleo- paleontolo- paleontologist. 
evolutionary biologist and historian of science. He was also one of the most influential and widely read writers of popular science of his generation. Gould spent most of his career teaching at Harvard University and working at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. In later years of his life, Gould also taught biology and evolution at New York University. Well, I don't know. Do many people know about that little factoid? Well, you wouldn't glean that from looking at your Discovery Channel, History Channel, uh, National Geographic Channel, National Geographic Magazine, uh, Discovery Channel Magazine, Life Magazine, Time Magazine, Science Magazine, Popular Mechanics Magazine, PBS, NBC, ABC, your local newspaper, uh, numerous websites, uh, uh, matchbooks covers, sweatshirts, t-shirts, uh, Darwin decals on the back of people's cars, uh, postcards, billboards, uh, the list goes on and on and on. That Darwinism is a fact of science, it's proven, and I, I talk about this a lot, but I think it, it, it's kind of pertinent to a lot of the things that, you know, we discuss here on the calls, you know, kind of maybe going to some questions about, uh, well, just questions about everything, especially maybe when it has to do with uh, what's in the media, but also what's being pumped out in the so-called... Uh, science venues of your universities, your uh, hallowed halls of institutional learning, and those places. Well, I mean, if you have a predominant belief system that's flogged relentlessly, uh, you know, like I just got through saying, uh, through all out media... And I forgot to include in there all oh, podcasts, YouTube videos, radio shows, uh, on and on and on. You know, to the point where if you have anybody that makes an appearance on any kind of radio show, television show, and they are presenting themselves as an academic expert, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the field of biology. It could be an expert in any kind of particular field. You'll notice that there's always kind of a concerted effort, and I think it's sort of a contrived effort to insert Darwinism into any discussion of anything. So it's almost like, well... In order for me to be an intellect of any sort, 
I have to pay homage to Darwin and I have to, you know, encapsulate my particular theory, whatever it is, into some Darwinistic framework to make myself sound intellectual. But it's, it's, it's not just a theory about biology. It's kind of, I think it says so much about our whole culture and how it works. I just got through reading you a quote from a preeminent biologist scientist who knew an awful lot about the subject of evolution. And he's talking about one of the main sort of evidentiary alleged proofs for Darwin evolution, which is all these fossils, right? So have you ever been to uh, the Smithsonian Museum? I I went to the one in Washington, Washington, D.C. And it was impressive. Quite impressive, actually. They had all kinds of skeletons in there. Fossils, rocks, really interesting stuff, displays. So I went in there to check it all out while I was touring around there, Washington, D.C. Yeah, you have to see that Smithsonian Museum. It's, it's quite the spectacle. But after I was there for a brief period, it, it just kind of dawned on me. I said, this is like a sort of a temple or like a sanctuary, like a church to Darwinian evolution is what it, what the impression I got. Because everywhere you turn, it, it's something on display couched within a Darwin, Darwinistic evolutionary framework. And I overheard this lady talking to her friend as they're standing there looking at these skulls and this display case. It was actually skeletons. And she says something to the effect of, Oh, look, Martha, it's so so startlingly similar, the skulls. Look, I mean, anybody is a fool who doesn't believe in evolution. Talking about the similarities between, you know, monkey skulls and human skulls and you you know you go have a look at it. it's like wow yeah it's pretty striking sort of similarities they both have the eye sockets right there in the front but then again you know a lot of other animals like lemurs and stuff owls and stuff do too but but people don't go drawing conclusions from lemur skulls or anything like that. Oh, look how human-like the lemur is. No, well, why not? It's got the eye sockets in front. Just like a monkey, just like a man. Because you weren't taught to draw those inferences from that. That's why you don't do it. But, uh, where's all the monkey man at? I didn't see no monkey man. At the Smithsonian. You know, the monkey man, the half between man, half between monkey. 
Uh, he was he was conspicuously absent from the party there. I, he he was a no show. But they did have a display, and you talk about some impressive artwork. I mean, the best. I mean, it's really good stuff. So they have this big sort of ten foot tall, four foot wide painting or maybe it was like a print of a painting where whatever it, and then it shows the crawling out of the slime up to the walking animals up to the reptiles up to the birds and then you see the birds and they fly and it's kind of all kind of put together in a nice motif from one form to the other and I'm looking at it and I'm saying wait a minute where's this between bird and between lizard animal. I want to see that. You guys got that skeleton on display here? So I could take a take a look at that. A uh, little uh, fantastic creature there you got presented in your illustration. Do, do we get to see that one? But there's nobody there that you can ask questions to. That's the problem. So when you're seeing something like that it it's a one-way medium it's it's you're being subjugated to a dogma or a belief or a belief system or a a philosophy or whatever you want to call it but it's 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 a one-way information stream like you don't get to dialogue with anybody at least from what i could gather i i couldn't ask say hey where's this lizard bird thing that you have on in this picture here can 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 we look at that like what where, what is that what is that based on but you know it's it, it's an illustration it's art but did they have a lot of in between bones like that like, yeah it's half lizard half bird it's uh half monkey half man it's half giraffe half whatever squirrel or whatever between giraffe or squirrel and giraffe well or whatever no i didn't get to see any of that good stuff they got all that maybe locked away in a special case somewhere in the back room well you know while you're at it why don't you drag a because there's supposedly billions of them right fossils in between states just as Darwin predicted there would be that we can have a gander at and look and just be in awe about wow ooh, billions and millions a year but you'll hear it all the time millions you know you turn on the TV and it's Discovery Channel millions of years ago wait let me see where's my British accent at millions of years ago there was a fish and, and the fish got a little bit antsy in the water and got fed up with his aquatic surroundings and decided to sprout legs and have a walkabout onto the land and, and look for grasshoppers to eat and that sort of thing. And that's how he grew legs and, and crawled upon the land. And it, you know, it went from there. As you're told, it, a just-so story is what they're called. Look up that, just-so story. That's That's what you get. 
Well, no, let's see the transitional fossils that that are... Now, okay, four billion odd years of evolution, that's going to leave behind something. All of that activity going on, all that time. You go digging in the ground. Ooh, look what we found. Crocodile. How old is that, Bob? Well, let's send it to the lab. Check it out. The lab results came back, and it's 100 million years old. Imagine that. 100 million year old crocodile skeleton we found in the ground. Well, you take a look at the at the crocodile bones you got out of the ground go ahead and put them side by side with a crocodile you just you just got through pulling fresh out of the creek and you just you want to do a comparison there ain't going to be no difference 100 million year old crocodile 100 million year old million year old crocodile a brand new brand spanking new crocodile you just caught at the lake here just the past Memorial Day you're out on your boat crocodile swimming around you grab your fishing net you scoop you get it get it around his head so he can't bite you you take it home you know let your kids play with it so you got it there at the house it's sitting on your rug you take the hundred million year old fossil that you see on the Discovery Channel there on your TV and say hey look you know precious looks just like the fossil on the TV same thing you name your crocodile precious feed them chicken and stuff that's probably what they would like to eat but no it's gonna be like raw chicken but no it's gonna be like um, the same thing 100 million years 100 million years I can't even say that it's not even a worth saying it's like 100 million years what the hell happened what was going on 100 does anybody really know hell no 100 million 100 million years that's a that's get get out of here with that 100 million years ago this was happening and that was happening it's like shut up you have no clue absolutely no clue is 100 million years ago whether there was anything here or what, you have no idea. And that's a whole nother thing. Like, uh, where do they get these dates? Well, that's another really interesting subject in and of itself. And all these things kind of hinge together. And they also go and form the sort of underlying framework for a lot of other stuff that were being confronted with in the modern day like you know transhumanism and you know eugenics and stuff like that yeah it's it really does it has a darwinistic evolutionistic underpinning to all of this stuff you know that's why i think it's important to to have a discussion about evolutionism but uh yeah i ran across this piece of audio play this real quick while i'm getting a drink of coffee it's like this comedian dude. He's talking about evolution. I'm here to tell my people it's time to stop believing bullshit. Just because a motherfucker tell you bullshit with a straight look on their face. We too old. We too smart. We too motherfucking good 
to believe shit don't make no fucking sense. You too old to be believing in evolution with your right. stupid motherfucking ass. Evolution say people came from monkeys. And the question is, why is there still monkeys, you dumb motherfucker, you? Is these the retarded monkeys? They didn't turn into people just yet. Get your stupid ass the fuck out of here. Well, yeah. Right. Get your stupid ass up out of here with all that nonsense. Are they the retarded monkeys? Did they not evolve yet? And uh, Richard Dawkins will say, Well, you idiot. You don't know that we came from a, a, a common ancestor. And that that's why we still see chimpanzees. We didn't. We didn't come from apes. We came from a common ancestor. Ah, oh, that's the best I can do on Richard Dawkins. But oh, for real? Okay. So we came from a common ancestor. Apes are still around. But the question is a good question. Still, I mean, that's a an attempt at a, at dodging the question that, that's the way I look at it because it, it doesn't answer the question because I think a better way to phrase the question is like you know or or maybe to point to something like a crocodile or or a monkey whatever over millions of years the monkey or a monkey like common ancestor or whatever whatever Richard Dawkins who cares? Whatever. It is. Okay, it's an ape-like body plan. They call it science. It represents a certain morphological body type. You know, the with the hair and the walks around on, you know, all, all fours, yet it's sort of semi-upright. It's got the eyes in front of the head, like the lemurs and the other... It's an it's in what's referred to as an ape. That particular body plan. So it can exist alongside of all this radical sort of morphological change that's happening between other particular types of organisms. Like say, for instance, like a the common ancestor to man and man radical difference between a monkey or a mon okay a monkey type common ancestor or whatever and a man big big difference well we're night we're 98% uh, similar dna well that's not even okay that's not even really true for one thing because and, and there's also been some kind of recent discoveries and probing into that so, well the difference between the human and the D human and the chimpanzee DNA is quite extreme it's not what they're telling you like oh it's only like this few little nodules that are tweaked here and there but otherwise no they're they're you know a chimpanzee is a, is a human all you got to do is you know no nah, nope it's it's not that way at all 
and if you're interested, look it up on Google. Uh, uh, chimpanzee human DNA similarities. There's some articles where, oh, they've, you know, new discovered, because they don't know shit about DNA. They're finding out, like, they just recently, within the last five years or something like that, that they were, you know, since the 80s, they were, they were looking at the DNA and they were saying, oh, this most of the DNA we're looking at doesn't code or doesn't do anything. So it must be, it must be an evolutionary holdover, just like, you know, the, the appendix, well, you know, but you know, the problem with that is like, no, the, the appendix is not an evolutionary holdover and it does have a function. And they just recently find out within the last five years or so that, yeah, the D, the, what you were calling junk DNA since the eighties is actually functional and actually has a purpose. So don't, don't get your running shoes on just yet and run down the field with that little pigskin. Uh, just don't, just hold on. Hold up. Uh, no. It, it's it's uh, not junk DNA. And the difference between a chimpanzee and a human DNA is dr- dramatically different. So to get back to my point about morphological change over millions of years so we still have monkeys or monkeys or whatever you want to say mon- or the common ancestor was like a monkey but we still have monkeys around so in other words they're definitely not evolving to the extent of the evolution that was going on between the ape-like common ancestor and man the radical morphological change that occurred Allegedly, right, and then uh, the the differences between the DNA is is quite striking if you really look at it. But they'll keep throwing that. Oh, we're ninety eight percent or whatever similar. It's well, if you knew the what it, what exactly that what exactly were the differences and what how profound they are, it's like that's you know whatever percentage of it is different and how different it is. That's that leaves you with a completely different impression other than these kind of mantras that they throw out there. And that's what they are. They're mantras. Oh, evolution is a fact. Oh, uh, yeah, there's 98% similarities. All this other stuff. It's like, well, back to the uh, quote, because I'm getting back around to that. It's, you know, what Stephen G. Gould said about the fossil record. says, no, we look at the fossil record, and no, you know what? Uh, it, It What's what's the most profound thing we see in the fossil record is that biological life maintains stasis. That means it stays the same. It stays the same when it first appears as when it eventually dies. It's the same looking thing. It does the same thing. It you know from all appearances because that's all we we got to go off of with the fossils is just appearances. But you know when we get a crocodile, we can probably make some assumptions that yeah it lived in the water. Yeah. It, it snacked on birds, yeah. It 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 was you know had ferocious teeth, all that. We see them here in the fall. Yeah, it's a crocodile. It's a crocodile. Hundred million years ago, according to them, is crocodile. Okay, where's all this evolution happening then? So you can go for a hundred million years, and a, and and sort of dodge the bullet and not evolve. Like no changes, not not nothing really 
So I got into a discussion, a back and forth discussion with this dude on that exact subject, you know, and, and we and we kind of got into you know crocodiles. I say, hey, hey man, like you know, you, we got these fossils right that are one hundred million years old. Are these crocodiles? Like what? What's what's going on with crocodiles? Like why don't they change? Because I think the original question is like, oh, you know, why is there still monkeys, or why is there still amoeba, or why is there still bacteria and that that would even probably be a more profound question because bacteria will go through many many more life cycles in the course of let's let's say in the course of a human lifespan like the bacteria that lives inside your gut and the bacteria that lives around you and stuff like that they'll they by the time you get a certain age bacteria has already gone through thousands upon thousands of life cycles so how 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 is that all how's that not all how's that avoiding evolution but you know okay back to the crocodile like i was like well so you're saying that the crocodile is so adapted to its particular environment that it just doesn't need to change anymore so it just doesn't change it doesn't evolve anymore so the crocodile body plan is the, is the most optimal body plan for what it is and that it is totally resistant to any further evolution because it is just so good at what it does. And I was like, well, let's think about that for a minute. What, I mean, what could give... Because that's all it takes, right, for Darwinism to work. You have to have an, a, a mutation that confers some sort of advantage for that particular organism over its competitors, right? Because of survival of the fittest, right? Um, but no, the 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 crocodile—it's just no room for improvement on the crocodile. None. Well, so let's think about that for a minute. Like, well, what if it? evolved periscopic eyeballs like a snail you ever like you see a snail and that you, you like you know i used to play with those as a kid you're poking at them and you mess and you like take it and look at it and it starts to you know it starts to try to get away but it's a freaking snail it's gonna it's just taking forever to, to get away from you but in the in the process its eyes you know will be retracted into its head as you're pick it when you pick it up it kind of goes sucks up in its shell and then you set it on it like you're setting it on your hand and then you see the eye kind of poke out and periscope out like bloop, 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 bloop. and then you know it's looking around like what put a set of those on a crocodile and then it could stay underwater and then bloop, 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 put up the periscope and eyes and it doesn't have to get close to the sur- that would be an evolutionary advantage wouldn't it I mean, I'm just throwing ideas out there because snails occupy the same ecological niche that a crocodile does. So obviously there's other body plans that are suitable to that particular niche. So that's what I'm getting at. It's like, oh, this idea that this certain morphology has no further room to evolve, period, and that's why it doesn't evolve. Well, what about the frog that has the same ecological niche as, a, as the allig- uh, alligator the frog could 
could get its its supper like remotely. Like, it doesn't even have to. It just sits where like on a lily pad or whatever. It sees a bug, and then it just opens its mouth, and this big long tongue comes out, and bam, hits the dragonfly or whatever, and snatches it off a leaf, and then the frog just mucks it down, and then he's happy and. He doesn't have to expend a lot, of, a whole lot of energy. Just his tongue. It's like, well, why didn't the crocodile evolve a tongue? And it's like, okay, here's a stork, you know, or a heron or whatever, kind of land on the bank. And then the, here's here's Mister Evolved Crocodile. And that and that uh, stork has no clue that crocodiles just evolved a frog tongue. And it's like crocodile opens his mouth wham a big old long tongue comes out smacks the stork and snatches him off the bank and it's lunchtime. it's like no that that doesn't happen they stopped evolving just just because right so that's that's back to what i stated earlier about just a just so story it's a just so story. Yeah, I like that. Let's look up the definition of just so story. In science and philosophy, a just-so story, also called an ad hoc fallacy, is an unverifiable and unfalsifiable narrative explanation for a cultural practice, a biological trait, a behavior of humans or other animals. The pejorative nature of the expression is an implicit criticism that reminds the hearer of the essentially fictional and unprovable nature of such an explanation. Such tales are common in folklore and mythology, where they are known as ideological myths. See ideology. The phrase was popularized by the publication in 1902 of Rudyard Kipling's Just So Stories containing fictional and deliberately fanciful tales for children, in which the stories pretend to explain animal characters such as the origin of spots on a leopard. Uh, the phrase has been used to criticize evolutionary explanations of traits that have been proposed to be adaptations, particularly in the evolution-creation debates in a debate regarding research methods of sociobiology and evolutionary psychology. Uh, however, academics such as David Barash state the term just-so story when applied to a proposed evolutionary adaptation is simply a derogatory term for a hypothesis. Hypotheses, by definition, require further empirical assessment and are part of a normal science. Similarly, uh, Ru Robert Kurzban suggested that the goal should not be to expel stories from science, but rather to identify the stories that are also good explanations. So he's, you know, defending just-so stories. Oh, they're good, essential part of science, just-so stories. In his book, The Triumph of Sociobiology, John Al Alcock suggested that the term just-so story is applied to proposed evolved uh, as applied to proposed evolved adaptations is one of the most successful derogatory labels ever invented. Uh, yeah, because it's so fitting. It's, it's a just so. It's, it's just so. Like crocodile, they, they don't evolve just because. They, they just stop evolving. Uh. 
And that's that's just the way it is. They just stop. A hundred million years and they just stop evolving. Just for just because. And dragonflies and amoeba and and uh beetles and, and, and certain types of flies that get embedded in into um uh what's that stuff called? Uh oh, See, I, I'm drawing a blank because I, I I put myself under pressure to remember what I was saying on the spot just now, and I and that's why I blinked out. Amber, amber, like that stuff that comes out of trees, and then it solidifies, and then it encapsulates a bug or something, and then they say, "Oh, look at this bug! Oh, look, it's encapsulated in amber! Oh, look, it's a hundred million years old!" And you're looking at it, and it's oh, it's a mosquito. Yeah, that's an ancient mosquito. It's like, why does it look exactly like a mosquito that I just got through smashing on my arm? Well, it didn't involve it didn't involve much, did it? It's still the same old mosquito. To the point where they're like talking about, oh yeah, we could. Like in the Jurassic Park movie, oh yeah, they're going to pull blood out of this mosquito that was preserved in amber. And the blood will be so well preserved that we could draw a DNA chain off of it and replicate T-Rex or something. Well, really, the whole thing is just a big steaming pile of uh, T-Rex dookie, if you ask me. But... It's really good questions, though. Yeah, why are they still monkeys? Like William Cat said, why are they still monkeys? You dumb mf'er. Like why? Why? That's a really good question. Why are there amoebas for crying out loud? Like, isn't that the first form of life four point odd billion years ago? Long, long time ago. Oh yeah, and they're still around, so they don't evolve either. They're they're too, like, uh, like William. They're, they're they're too retarded to evolve. I don't know about that, but I think it it it. You know the thing about evolution theory. Is that it? It is so malleable. It, it you could just twist it and shape it like silly putty, like clay. You could form it and shape it and make it fit anything you want to explain about anything. You know, to the point where, like I was talking about earlier, about it, all these you know academics or uh, bloviating pundits and stuff that will come on and they'll talk about you know this that and, the other. and then and then they'll throw in a uh, they'll throw a bone to Darwin like. Uh, and that's kind of like a, that's kind of of a sing a signal to you that, oh yeah, this guy's smart. Oh man. The thing with me is that I am smart, and I'm smart. I'm self-smarted basically by myself, basically from nature and smoke and drugs and doing different things. I've self self learned myself. Yeah, smart P 
people out there self-learning themselves and how you learn to sound smart is you you throw old Chuck Darwin a bone and makes you sound intelligent but in reality and, and this is kind of back to what I want to point out initially how, what it says about our culture what it says about our society it's that it could be the most stupid jack leg ignorant off the wall fantastical improbable statistically like improbable to the extreme where you're like oh yeah how many what's the odds of getting a one protein chain that you know is responsible for life like you know what what are the odds that um you know the DNA will be able to code for a protein chain, and then you're going to get the right sequence specificity in order for the code to be correct. In order for the code to tell the tell the the molecules of the protein chain to shape and form themselves into the precise three dimensional form that it needs to suit its particular biological function what are the odds it's like oh yeah we just it's like 10 with like a hundred zero or some 10 to the 50th power or something like uh, some wildly out of bounds outrageous uh odds against it just one protein just one it's kind of like a Stephen Meyer, he, he he talks about it, you know, intelligent design a lot and stuff like. That. He's 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 really interesting to listen to because I think the dude's got it. He he has got a lot of this stuff just nailed down. And he uses the example of okay, here's a you know to illustrate the point that what I'm trying to make is how improbable like one of these proteins of being created, you know, kind of at a at random chance occurrences. He's, he he shows an illustration of a bicycle lock. With like 100 positions on it, like this outrageous bicycle lock. Like, okay, now you know, he's, and then he then he goes on with a thought experiment and he's like, well, what's the likelihood that a bike thief or somebody coming along is going to get the right combination and, and get the bike? Because that's what that's what that's what Darwin needs. He needs this bike so his theory can have wheels he needs to ride off on this he needs to get this bike and he needs to but before he does it he has to solve this combination before he gets on the road and good luck man <laughs> it ain't gonna happen a hundred positions on it and you gotta get them all right in order for you to unlock the lock in other, in other words to get you a, a mechanism that's gonna you know move down the road because if it ain't if it don't move down the road who wants to ride it who wants who wants it oh, i'll sell you a bike yeah what, what do you what do you mean man i got i got a bike i'll sell you and but you know I'll, I'll sell it to you cheap but it's only got one drawback it's got this combination lock on it and i've tried cutting it i tried you know hacking it with a hacksaw it's, 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 there ain't no way to cut it with you know you have to figure out the combination Oh, and by the way, it's a hundred. Uh, it's one. Of, it's kind of some maniac made a bike lock with a hundred, you know, positions on it. So, are, are you going to buy that? Are you going to buy my bike if I'm trying to sell that to you? Is, does it sound like a good deal to you? 
just keep in mind though you ain't getting that lock off until you solve the combination you you want to buy my bike i'll give it to you cheap i'll give it to you for 100 bucks it's a nice bike uh i, I don't think i would have many takers certainly not the number of takers that b purchase uh darwinism lock stock and barrel but no, I don't. I don't think any any anybody in their reasonably sane, you know, enough cognitive functioning to uh, make any kind of reasonable, rational decision would not buy the bike from me. Because they know the odds are the odds of me riding that sweet bike are are just about zero. It's like, well, you buy a lottery ticket. Well, a lottery ticket's only got, what, like five numbers? This one's got a hundred. So what, what's your considerably greater odds of solving the bike combination lock? But, you know, that's what we're told to believe happened. It's, it's you know, the just-so stories on Discovery Channel. Oh, yeah, it just happened. Oh, yeah, not only this one bike lock, not only did this master bike thief called Darwinian Evolution break this one bike lock but he broke like hundreds of them all in a row and he he rides all these 18 bikes at the same time and uh that's that's what a an, an incredible outrageous ridiculous guy darwin is he, he's he's capable of that do you believe it no i don't i don't I don't believe it. I don't believe in astronomical odds and outrageous coincidences that, you know, one outrageous coincidence, maybe, depending on what it is, but like hundreds in a row now, nah. one right after the other. Oh, yeah, I won the lottery. Oh, yeah, really? And then you, you, you meet your buddy the next week. Yeah, I won the lottery. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. No, no, I won it again, dude. Oh, really? Seriously? Yeah, I won the lottery twice. Yeah, people, I guess, win the lottery twice. But then, like, after about the... Oh, third time or fourth time, you would be like, oh, I don't know if I believe you, dude. I don't think you won the lottery four times in a row. I, I really don't think... Because it's not possible, right? You don't keep on accepting wild improbabilities ad nauseum like people do with Darwinism, you know. But, uh, people do it. People do it. People believe it. People buy it. People buy them bikes and they're locked up and they they're still ain't going anywhere. But, uh, uh, you'll be consistently and repeatedly assured of the fact that evolution is real. And then you just need to believe it. Because if you don't believe in it, you're stupid. And you're a hayseed. And you're backwards. And you're a dummy. And, uh, you're anti-science. And, uh... You know, you could be a, a dangerous fanatic. Because, you know, everybody knows how, you know, 
Oh, you, well, yeah, you're some kind of like a religious fanatic, and then everybody knows how 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 bad religion is now because of nine eleven and stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, you're gonna be going to buy a box cutter and, and, and get on a plane and 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 take it take it into a a, a daycare or something, uh, or a federal building or something, whatever. You're one of them. Not that people come out and say that, but that you get you can gather a lot from hearing stuff that that's kind of like the sentiment that's it's it's at least being attempted now to kind of broad brush paint kind of everybody and put them to a like a category like oh you conspiracy conspiracy theorist uh a fanatic fanatic uh right wing fanatic or whatever and you're one of those crazy people and you're not to be trusted and you got these radical f- fanatical ideas about you know how how like sciences you know could possibly be incorrect and and that kind of stuff you you're just not a good person and and you need to like just be quiet that that's the kind of attitude you know you run across nowadays it's just ridiculous and i like pointing out that okay you're insane for one thing because you believe in something that you have zero evidence for. Uh, there's not a bone in the ground. There's not a, a mathematical formula. There's not a, a, a computer code or anything analogous to what you're presenting as far as what you assert happened 100 million years ago. And you're, uh, you believe in just those stories. And you're a, you're a fanatic and a loon and an idiot. You know, if you believe in Darwin. That's all there is to it. Uh, it's actually 100 degree opposite of what is being kind of pushed out there into the, the mass media. It's like if you turn your child over to a lab, a lab coat wearing person that you've never really even had lunch with or anything and you turn your child over to let them shoot them with umpteen different syringes full of who knows what and you don't even read the inserts and you don't even educate yourself on it and you just believe in this thing called science because you know here's what i'm talking about where it where it where this mentality it goes on because because if you believe in something as absurd as evolution i could see where you might turn your child over to a white lab coat and just trust in the science. And then you ignore, okay, the manufacturer of that product that they're injecting in your child has decided like, oh, well, we don't want liability for our product. We're going to lobby Congress and and they're going to, and they are so nice to get us off the hook so we don't have to be responsible if something bad happens to your kid. We're off the hook. We can't be sued. Sorry. Oh, okay. And and that's acceptable mainstream uh, behavior. So I want to take my child over to a stranger, have him injected with a bunch of crap that I don't know what it is, by made but i know that it's made by people who were so uptight about the potential fallout 
that could incur by them being open to tort liability in court that they went forward with a lobbying campaign to lobby Congress to get them a special sweet deal set up called the vaccine courts. And I'm going to put my child's life in their hands. <laughs> and then the vaccine court is stacked with people who are invested in vaccine. It's just so over the top. Like, if you tried to make up a, a goofier story than that, you couldn't. It's so preposterous, so outlandish, that it's 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 hard to even... Even though I know it's true, it's 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 hard to it's still hard to believe it. And 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 then debating with people like online and stuff, it's like, okay, maybe like this is just a government shill. And then I'm thinking, well, n no, there's people out there that really do have this mindset. There, there's real people, real people out there. Because like I would present to them, like, oh well, yeah, they you know they admit that. Um, you know, there's still mercury in you know the, the the flu vaccines and stuff like that. And then you know they've also said too that they're you know they're loaded with a, a lum aluminum. And then the then the then the person I'm you know debating with comes back with, well, aluminum is not bad for you. And I'm like, oh, what what where where am I? Is this is this uh, what the hell is going on? It's like what. I, I don't think like every last individual on the internet's a, it's a government paid troll because you know if 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 that's the case then there's no real opposition to vaccines in the public and then so why is everybody going down there and taking them why is it when you ask for a, uh, a an exemption form they they look at you like you you just stepped off uh, the mothership or something like where they 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 just can't get over that you're asking for an exemption. They just don't know what they just don't know what to do. Well, obviously they're unfamiliar with that process because otherwise they would just reach out and hand to you and say, "Here you go." But but I'm, what I'm saying is the majority is on board with it. So so yeah, you would get the, it's like oh yeah, aluminum's not bad for you. Oh so just go ahead and just yeah just inject it right on in the old bloodstream. Because if your body, you know, like even if you can make a case that your body can deal with aluminum, you know, when it comes through your respiratory system or something like that, that that doesn't necessarily follow that you can go ahead and have it injected directly into your bloodstream, and that and that is, I don't think you can, you could drink Nestle's milk chocolate, but I I, I really don't think it's it's a very good idea if you if you go ahead and load up a syringe and just inject a whole, you know. 50 cc's or whatever directly into your bloodstream or have like a you know but the the you know put put in in milk it's probably not good for you to drink it but you know i, I don't you you would probably have a lot of trouble if you if you inject it into your bloodstream you, you see what i mean i i i i don't know like why that's lost on people i really I really have a hard time. It's just like, yeah, you don't use your common sense when you're in a religion. You know, if you're you're in, if you're part of a religious group or like a cult, you know, like 
we were talking about that documentary about Scientology, and it's like, wow, those people really did that? They really were allowed themselves to be commandeered inside, like, these uh, hotel rooms and work for 50 cents a day for, like, years on end and subject themselves to all kinds of psychological torment and stuff. And, and like, one of the ladies got off the plantation. She left. So it was possible. So what did you do, ladies? Like, oh, I, I got my kid. I got in the car. I got a friend to come and pick me up and take me. It's like, oh, really? So you weren't locked in there, but you that you made that decision after, like, 15 years of being there? It's like, wow, whatever mind control is at work in Scientology, I mean, that it's, hey, it ain't, it ain't no joke, man. There's something seriously profound about that. That's not to be taken lightly. But, you know, the way I look at it, it's like, well, that's kind of a sort of condensed, you know, like a concentrated, like, you know, you take a like orange juice concentrate, you got to water that stuff down before you can even drink it. Well, that's kind of a more concentrated kind of scenario where you have kind of this, uh, kind of overt sort of mind control being employed and then you know it, it's and it's and it's different it kind of it, you know Scientologists kind of stand out and that's why kind of people take note of it and, and make fun of it and say wow well, look at that it's strange but uh, they themselves you're in a cult too buddy you just don't know it if you believe in Darwinism you're in a cult if you believe in the state and the authority of the state you're in a cult you're you you believe in something that you've never been shown evidence for in your life you've only believe it because a, a priest class told you they the priest class gave you a just so story and you believe the just so story and just so stories are like i said in that definition are are pretty you know indispensable in, in, in creating myths. Oh, like this guy. It's, it's the same thread I was debating evolution on. He comes in and says, uh, oh, because it was about teaching evolution in schools. And I, and, and I made the point, like, oh, well, you know, you got to understand that, you know, your public schools are sort of akin to a church. I mean, they, they're, they're going to indoctrinate uh, a particular religious belief into children about, you know, the, the, the primacy of the state and statist authority and, and the powdered wig men, magical people that lived, you know, ages ago that uh, wrote their thoughts down on, on magical parchment paper. And then that's law for, you know, from like now on, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so story. It's just just so happened. Just so. Uh, Washington, you know, he, he was the most honest man who ever lived and, and chopped down a cherry tree and said his dad, told his dad that I, I, I chopped down the cherry tree. I can't lie. And his dad said, you're going to be president one day, son. Chopping down that cherry tree, tell your dad, didn't lie to your dad. He's a good boy. It's like, what the fuck? What does that have to do with anything? But that's just so story. 
it, as if, you know, like, oh, yeah, he couldn't tell a lie. As if he was honest. What proof of it was he was honest? Like, you don't, you don't, you're not party to, to, to drafting up a contract that's going to be binding on people that never sign it or never a party to it. That's, that's not, that's not how you conduct business honestly and swearing oaths and all that. But yeah, it, uh, just so story. That's the way it is. That's the way it happened. Umpteen years ago. Uh, wrote it down. At least, uh, what's his name? Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. At least he had gold tablets. You know, with the Book of Mormon on it and all that. That, uh, you know, he, he wasn't some cheapskate. I mean, he... he he went for gold tablets to get his whole, you know, thing kick-started off. It's like, what is the, what is the Constitution? It's just, Constitution is parchment. It's like, yeah, couldn't they do, what, at least stamp it on gold or something? Or, come on. But, no, parchment's good enough for these peons. But, what? yeah, that's, that's what it is. It's parchment. And the ink wasn't dry on that piece of parchment before they started violating it. But that's okay. Their, 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 their intentions were good. And then, you know, that's what you'll always... It's like, yeah, you always hear that. It's like, yeah, the, the Constitution is still the greatest thing. And it's like, well, you know, and, it, and it's, it's, it's where our rights are. Our, our, uh, we got the Bill of Rights, and that's where our, 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 our rights are documented in that piece of paper. And that's... And that's uh, you know, we just need to get back to that. And it's like, well, okay, for one thing, what proof do you have that we were ever really following it? Uh, I don't know. You want to look at the uh, no, Ludlow Massacre or the Bonus Army or look look that shit up and see how constitutional any of that was. But that was a long time ago. So we're, so we're more constitutional now than we are then? Or what? what is it? Which is it? When was, when was the drop? Oh, 1913 when the Federal Reserve Bank took over and that's where it went all went to shit right and the jews got in there and you know dicked everything up and then uh now we're bad off because they went into this is the story okay the just so story about they went into the midnight session of congress and then uh the powdered wig men were asleep and they got in there and uh passed a bad law took her bank Got all her blushes freedom and fucked us up. And, uh, ain't nothing we can do about it now. The bankers took over. Midnight session of Congress. Okay, midnight session of Congress. I know a real easy solution. Let's just wait until, you know, this coming New Year's Eve and go sneak into Congress like they did. And pull that bad piece of paper out and put a good piece of paper in there. Uh, you don't understand, Chris. Don't work that way. Yeah, I know it doesn't work that way, and I know that that's not the way legislation is made. And I understand that because you have to have a coordinated effort to kick something like that off, and a lot of people have to be involved in it beforehand, and before you can do something like turn over the entire issuing of the credit and currency for an entire country over to a private entity. Give me a freaking break. Uh, 
speaking of breaks, let's take a break. segment of this documentary film about the Rockefellers. Check this out. And then I want to talk about this for a minute. If anybody wants to call in, go ahead and call in. Uh, 724-444-7444. Call ID is 90337. Just like the little new promo deal I, I just made up. Hope you like that. Uh... Let me play this. Rockefeller's future, however, was harnessed to an industry in trouble. So many wells were flowing, he lamented, that the price of oil kept falling, yet they went right on drilling. He saw an industry plagued by overproduction, and his own success threatened by what he described as ruinous cutthroat competition. John D. was shrewd enough and he was analytical enough that he realized that in order to figure out a way to save his own firm and his own newly won fortune, that he had to figure out a solution for the entire industry. It was at that point that John D. began to conceive of the oil industry as one big interrelated mechanism and you couldn't just change one component you had to control the entire machine in a move that would transform the American economy Rockefeller set out to replace a world of independent oil men with a giant company controlled by him in 1870 begging bankers for more loans he formed Standard Oil of Ohio the next year, he quietly put what he called our plan, his campaign to dominate the volatile oil industry, into devastating effect. Rockefeller knew that the refiner with the lowest transportation cost could bring rivals to their knees. He entered into a secret alliance with the railroads called the South Improvement Company. In exchange for large, regular shipments, Rockefeller and his allies secured transport rates far lower than those of their bewildered competitors. Ida Tarbell, the daughter of an oil man, later remembered how men like her father struggled to make sense of events. 
An uneasy rumor began running up and down the oil regions, she wrote. Freight rates were going up. Moreover, all members of the South Improvement Company, a company unheard of until now, were exempt. Nobody waited to find out his neighbor's opinion. On every lip, there was but one word, and that was conspiracy. What it really represented was the face of monopoly. It immediately became clear that the entire nature of the enterprise was going to change in ways that spelled their doom. And so there was a shock of recognition that they were going to be left behind and that a whole world that had been opened up to them was soon to close. In just two months, he had taken over 22 of the 26 Cleveland refineries, revealing the single-minded drive that would make him both the wonder and the terror of American business. Nobody knew what he sounded like. Nobody heard him. Um, he walled himself off. And, and the people who did know him, though, the people who did find him ruthless, uh, had reason to find him ruthless because you come up against someone who has no self-doubts, who has a vision, and who has no qualms about achieving that vision because he doesn't think he's doing wrong. Once he made his mind up, you might as well sell your company because it was going to be part of Standard Oil. Methodically, secretly, John D. Rockefeller was doing more than transforming a single industry. He was changing forever the way America did business. The day of combination is here to stay, he declared. Individualism has gone, never to return. By 1879, when Rockefeller is 40, he controls 90% of the oil refining in the world. Within a few years, he will control 90% of the marketing of oil and a third of all of the oil wells. So this very young man controls what is not only a national but an international monopoly in a commodity that is about to become the most important strategic commodity in the world economy. Yeah, there you go. That was from a, a documentary about the life of John D. Rockefeller, how he was, uh, you know, this ultimate shrewd businessman that uh, was raised in sort of a very strict puritanical environment growing up, and then his parents instilled within him this sort of hardcore worth work ethic that made him the most you know driven to succeed it, it's really a, a just so story in it in its own right uh but that little snippet that i pulled out there is kind of where it you know it's it's all about you know John D and how you know 
how spectacular he was at business and all that. And then, you know, that's, it's like it's trying to drum that into your head. Like, oh, yeah, this this one man uh, was just so driven to succeed that that's, you know, that's, that that's sort of the primary you know driver behind him you know gaining control of you know 90 percent of an industry that you know a global industry that uh is is uh responsible for the one commodity that is sort of like the lifeblood of the you know world economy and all that and he kind of and you know the the impression that you're left with is that John D. Rockefeller, like he, like he single-handedly did all this stuff. But then it's kind of like, oh yeah, by the way, as a side note, the railroads uh, collaborated with him and gave him some special sweetheart deal where he didn't have to pay railroad fees and everybody else did. And and then, you know, yeah, there were some people around back then that kind of got upset and was pointing out that it was conspiracy yeah, for a real conspiracy. Obviously, was a conspiracy because, you know, John D. Rockefeller's company had this special, you know, pretty important privilege. Like, he could truck his stuff all over the place and not have to pay railroad fees. And for some reason, the railroad companies decided to, to cut him a special deal. And, and my question is, well, okay, that would be a whole topic of ex- exploration in and of itself just that those what those few sentences about the uh you know the the what was it the south the southland uh uh railroad company or, or, or that new entity that's created kind of out of thin air that just you know so happened so happened stancedly and coincidentally to give you know only john d rockefeller special rights to uh, transport his oil uh, free of the exorbitant fees and everybody else was getting just hammered uh, you know but it, it it's interesting how it kind of just hit it hits that and then just kind of continues forward with you know how you know profoundly fantastically astute Rockefeller was at business and you know that's he he uh, the inferences he single-handedly took an industry by the short and curlies and you know formed it into this big monopoly kind of on his own. But uh, no, that's a just so story again. That's that's just bullcrap. I mean, let's face it. You know, and another thing, it kind of. Glazes over, as though he goes and and begs, like it says he he begged for loans and 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 they gave him. Lo- it's like oh, like begging is gonna get you anywhere. Well, what it does if you're John D. Rockefeller, but no, yeah, he he got uh, a lot of loans you know, to expand his business into what it eventually became. Where he was controlling ninety percent of uh, you know oil oil refineries, oil production, uh, the, the the transport of oil, he's controlling all of it, just single handedly, just does it, and uh, and and it kind of just glazes over that one little tidbit there that he had some special deal with the railroads.
which he obviously did, but which got a lot of people upset, and rightly so. But, you know, the guy was uh, an insider. He was an insider. He had special connections to particular people like the Rothschilds, the banking families, and, uh, you know, and people in the railroad industry, and that's how he got the, the, the sweetheart deals, and that's how he came to prominence. You know, how astute he was as a, and hardworking he was as a businessman, it, that's only going to get you so far. And I'm sure his competition was 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 pretty uh, uh, hardworking and um, astute, probably as he was, or even more so, but... Like I said, it, it, it's only going to get you so far. And, uh, but that's, it's, it's just amazing how, like, you know, something like that could be, it could be put into a documentary. And, like, you watch, like, a lot of these documentaries and stuff. you got to really re- read between the lines because, uh, you know, it, it's nothing, especially anything produced like that that you're going to see on television or PBS or, History Channel or anything like that—it's—it's it's propaganda. You—you you pretty much should just go ahead and assume that right out of the gate. But and then if if you're going to subject yourself to the propaganda, you know, be prepared to read between the lines and and look at the little tidbits that they kind of gloss over, and uh, then you get a kind of better understanding. But. Um, You'll see very similar stories when you're talking about oh Bill Gates, uh, Steve Jobs, or uh, even like a guy like Elon Musk, or uh, what was the guy who ran for president, Ross Perot. You know, he's like uh, they made a big deal of out of him being a billionaire. And then, uh, yeah, he's sort of this libertarian type. And then you want to go digging around to Ross Pro's past. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, he sold computers. And then um, he got some special, sweet, fat contract with the government. And that's how he got really, really big. But, uh... Yeah, the rags, the riches, fables, the all that nonsense is just pure nonsense. And and the idea that there's real competition going on at the upper levels and and uh, all that is just nonsense. And I, and I think that kind of that that snippet there, that documentary, I think that you know without saying it, they said more than they could ever say by what they left out and what they glossed over than what they really were trying to do. You know, if, if they're trying to get that over on somebody that knows better, you can see, you can read between the lines and see between the fence posts or whatever and look at what's going on there in the in the little backyard back there of reality and uh, kind of pick apart these, you know, just-so stories, these rags to riches tales or whatever these fanciful tales of oh one man he he's such a 
profoundly, incredibly on the ball business oriented mindset and uh, you know patrician era radical self discipline and pulling himself up by his bootstraps and you know single handedly taking over and monopolizing an entire industry just basically on his own chutzpah I had an article about the Rockefellers I lost it interesting thing it said in there that I I probably read before I don't know if I made note of it for whatever reason but uh, like their name was originally um, yeah I had it open it's gonna yes yeah, of course it's gonna be the one tab that I close but uh earlier today in my history files and see oh I guess as a man I'm off track now it's like browsers. You got browsing history, right? And if you close a tab and then you go back into your browser, has anybody else experienced this? Like have you have your browser history on your browser and you're looking at crap, you know, and then like you want to go back to something that you closed out, like a tab that you closed. And then you say, "Oh, I know." I'll go look up my browser history and find it. It's like, no, you won't, buddy. I mean, that's my experience anyway. It's like, the one tab that I want to go back to, everything else is in here. Like all this dumb shit I was looking at earlier. Like, uh, house cat choking up a hairball or some bullshit. That's all in here. It's all in my history. But not the one I wanted to look at. Uh, oh, well. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's aggravating. The Ro Rogan Schalters. That's good enough. Yeah, German name. That's the Rockefeller's original name. That's that's peculiar. I thought the Jews run everything, but no, Germans. German. Kicking ass and taking names, taking over industries and everything. Germans. And then they, then, then comes to find out, like, yeah, Germans are everywhere. They're all down in South America. We were talking about that, me and John. And, uh, just one of those things that's not really largely discussed as it's, you know, brought into discussion. It doesn't seem like, like, yeah, Germans all over the place. Up, up in it. And, uh, yeah, that's interesting. But, no, the Rockefellers run the show in the United States. Uh, as far as, you know, mid-level management or whatever they are. Some They're in the management sector of society, obviously. But they run the show in the, as far as the uh, United States is concerned. 
and that's why I think it's good to know a little bit about them. Uh, are they at the top? No, I don't think so at all. But uh, they call the shots here as far as how things are going to operate in, in, in the United States. Uh, as far as their whatever's within their management capacity as, as uh, middlemen uh, to the uh, you know Vatican or whoever actually is at the top or closer to the top or whatever. But then it's kind of an interesting side note too that uh, yeah, Jesuits and the Germans and the and uh, the Rockefeller, Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and the uh, and the Catholic Church. It's how this article goes into how. Um, uh, let me go in the search engine. I could probably bring it up. Uh, Rockefellers, Rothschild. Uh, standard oil monopoly Rome Rockefeller yeah that's it Papa da 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 Papa yeah 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 here it is let's see yeah here it is uh Papa Oh, it goes in here to about how all the Rockefellers really kicked things off with um, making deals. Uh, with liquor taxes and they got the liquor tax rolling and they bought up a bunch of barrels of oil of whiskey uh, barrels of oil barrels of whiskey pre-tax and sold them post-tax and made a mint off of that through a affiliate through marriage and um, they this here says they founded and controlled the Federal Reserve Bank yeah, I guess that's true. They control the U.S. medical profession. That's certainly true. And they... they You know, they bought out the Encyclopedia Britannica. And it says here, the revision of the Encyclopedia Britannica was undertaken, I guess this is after they bought it, with a view to eliminate matter which is object, objectionable from a Catholic point of view, and to insert what was accurate and was accurate and unbiased, the whole of the 28 volumes were examined. The objectionable parts noted, and the reasons for their declaration of amendment given. There is every reason to hope that their new edition of Britannica will be found very much more accurate and impartial than its predecessors. And that's what they said about that. Yeah, we need to take about all the bad stuff about Catholic Church. First thing. Uh. So yeah, it's interesting, you know, that Rockefeller is tightly tied into the Jesuits and the Catholics. Well, according to this, it says so. And it also has some interesting stuff about Chase Manhattan Bank. They originally had their political organization set up internally. That parallel closely the 
organizational structure of the Catholic Church. On and on and on. Yeah, let me post this in the chat. It's interesting. The chat looks like it went quiet. What happened? What is really going on in the chat? Maybe it froze up. Maybe I had to restart and then now it's like no activity in the chat. No caller enters either. I've been talking for like an hour and a half. Usually there's caller enters. Yeah, I wasn't really intent on talking on and on about the Rockefellers. I mean, they're just some sort of... Like if we lived inside a giant Walmart, I guess the Rockefellers would be like a night shift managers or something. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of an analogy. Day shift manager, maybe. Uh, they're not the ones running the show. They're not the ones that are, are going to, you know, make make you stock uh, all stuff, uh, crocodile replicas or whatever in Walmart. That's going to be a decision that's made at the top. But I think Rockefellers are important uh, as far as, like, you know, if you're going to vote, just make sure you know that you're going to get a Rockefeller selectee. That who you vote for is going to get vetted by the Rockefellers first. Uh, the South Improvement Company. Yeah, it just comes out of nowhere. And turns over the railroad to Rockefeller. And then you got to ask yourself, okay, why does the railroad want to give anybody a free pass? Like, especially Rockefeller, because, you know, he, he, he had some of the largest refineries and stuff going back in the day. And uh, don't you want to charge him money, too, to transport his crap on your railroad and make money off Rockefeller, too? Why do you want to... Why do you wanna, uh, uh, cut Rockefeller uh, a sweet deal like that. I mean, what did they really do? What did he really do for the railroad? I mean, what does that make any? It doesn't make no sense. Totally makes sense if you if you're looking at things from the perspective that you know Rockefeller is a front man and that he's working at the behest of big money powers behind the scenes who pull the strings on all industries. Uh, you know, through the, I guess, banking system, right? Because you got to go to them to get loans to, to get capital to run your business or to expand it. And uh, so, you know, they can have their front man in place, their, you know, golden boy industrialist Rockefeller and... He's just got this long string of luck and sweetheart deals. But that doesn't have anything. Nah, he's just a hard-working man. Good, good Christian boy that went to church and gave money to the church and, and, and learned about the Protestant work ethic and just really turned it on full steam and, and, and took over the world. 
just so story. Another interesting thing is that yeah, John Johnny Rockefeller's father was named uh, William. They say that Bill Clinton is a uh, he is an illegitimate child of Winthrop Rockefeller, I think. And it's interesting; his name is William, William Jefferson Clinton, uh, named after Great Granddaddy Rockefeller. But they said that Great Granddaddy Rockefeller was a scoundrel, like a womanizer and stuff. Huh? That's interesting. Chip off the old block, huh, as the Masons say. But, uh, yeah, if you're interested in some more of this kind of stuff, uh, I I like Sherman Skullneck. I don't know about you guys, but um, I don't know, man. I, 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 I consumed his material years ago. Talk about the Rockefellers, the Red Chinese, and Walmart and stuff. Years ago, before Walmart was even a big that big of a deal and Sherman Skolnick was talking about all this it's like yeah what do you think you got J.B. Hunt out of Arkansas biggest transportation company in the practically in the world definitely like one of the biggest in the United States you got Tyson Foods out of Arkansas biggest meat packer ever and Walmart the biggest retail chain ever and it just freaking dominates, man. Walmart, for freak's sake, man. Walmart just opened a new store down the road where they're selling groceries. And they and they got three or four stores. It's just out of control, man. Walmart everywhere. And I thought they were just going to open up kind of a pharmacy market thing. Kind of like you'll see where, like a Walgreens or something maybe. That's what I was thinking. And... So after they got it built and everything, it wasn't even open yet. And I, I just walked in there and they said, sir, you can't come in here. I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, whatever. And I, you know, I came back later and I just wanted to scope the layout out. And um, I was like, man, this is a big grocery store. And it was just like all groceries. It's all like a big, huge grocery store. And uh, I was thinking, yeah, you know, Country Mart will be going out of business soon because it's the the new Walmart strategically located where it's gonna it's gonna catch people coming in and out of town that are the remnants of these rural areas around here and uh, yeah that's gonna that's gonna really cut cut down on them people you know driving all the way downtown to go to Country Mart or driving all the way out to Sixth Seventh Street and go to Country Mart out there and that's gonna really cut into Country Mart's business and it's like uh, <clears throat> Country Mart I see them already kind of slacking. Uh, you know, uh, they're, they're not, uh, remodeling their stores. It's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's kind of the, uh, the telltale signs of maybe a, maybe a regional chain that is sort of on its last leg. And then, you know, they opened up a, a brand new, pretty substantially sized grocery store, Walmart. And it's like, yeah, Walmart's gunning for Country Mart. Country Mart's days are numbered in Lawton, Oklahoma. I just, I'm sure of it. But out of Arkansas, of all places, it's like, and they say, yeah, the Rockefellers took over Arkansas because it's uh, pretty sparsely populated, and uh, 
they could very easily control and manipulate elections and at all levels. Real simple to do to rig and fix all that. Not not that it's not fixed everywhere else, but if if you're kind of interested in kind of just taking over a, a state, Arkansas is a good candidate. Just low maintenance is what I'm trying to say. And and uh, not not the not the not not to knock Arkansasers, but not the brightest people on earth. Okay, just leave it at that. And then uh, you know, sparsely populated. It's a oh, it's awesome, beautiful state, man. I mean, I live there. For a few years, uh, and wooded creeks, streams. I mean, if you like outdoors, which I really do, I mean, that's a great place to be, Arkansas, or the Ozarks in general. But yeah, Oklahoma's got a geography like that too. You go eastern Oklahoma, and but yeah, Ozarks, and yeah, it's really, really nice. In other words, Heber Springs. It's it's it's, it's natural springs they got yeah that's really and the rockefellers run the show uh i worked downtown at uh for this web development company called aristotle i i would go kind of meander around downtown little rock from time to time and uh, so I'd go into the uh, old State House Museum or some of the different museums and the different stuff they had around town. It's like everything's freaking Rockefeller. Oh yeah, the Rockefellers did this. The Rockefellers did this. here's a here's a, a diorama of the Rockefeller. You know, and how they you know are so good and you know they did, they were so instrumental and well actually they're single-handedly responsible for getting the vaccination program underway and how many lives it saved and Rockefeller this, Rockefeller that and uh, yeah, it's, it's like it's pretty sickening but um, and then you got uh, the illegitimate son of Winthrop Rockefeller running the show it, William Jefferson Clinton and then um not when I was there, but that was, uh, when I moved there, he 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 wasn't he he'd already been president and all that bull crap. But um, yeah, so you got these major industries coming out of Arkansas, and nobody puts two and two together and say, oh yeah, you mean because that's the Rockefellers are all holed up in there? Could that have possibly have anything to do with the success of Tyson Foods or J.B. Hunt or and then you know I read this book years ago Clinton Bush and the CIA compromised is what it was called and it went into how the Bushes and the Clintons have always been business partners and Mena, Arkansas was this hub of drug running and cocaine running back, you know, with the whole Iran-Contra thing, which is another kind of interesting piece of history there. But they would take in cocaine from South America, bring it to Arkansas, do what they need to do with it, process and whatever. And they were manufacturing weapons 
in Arkansas, and, and then they would load those up on the planes and take them back down there, give them to the Contras or whatever dog and pony show bullcrap is going on down there. And uh, and, and I think a lot of that is, is, is sort of a, a backstory that's created so that um, there's some sort of story to go along with, oh, yeah, why, are the, why is the CIA bringing bales and bales of bales of cocaine into the country oh well see they had to do it to 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 raise money for their operation down you know to fight the commies do you think the cia really gives a shit about fighting commies hell no but that's that's the story that's put out there as, as sort of the reason behind you know doing what they're doing like they you know are are fighting for freedom fighting the commies keeping you know doing dirty work now that's not any pretty you know the cia them boys you know they're they're you know neck deep in a lot of shit and but they're just doing what they have to do to fight commies and keep us safe and and that's you know the story that's put out there and a lot of people will sympathize with that even though it's like holy shit man you bring in shit ton of cocaine in the country um, that's that's the way I look at those stories. I I don't never take them at face value. I don't I don't really believe that um, fighting commies had anything to do with anything. It I, I think it's 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 always been used as sort of a pretext or a cover story for a lot of shenanigans and bullshit. But yeah, but I do believe that it's important to 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 get uh, to yeah to get the blow to get the smack into the country. And that's really what drives the economy for real. They brought it in and chickens stuffed full of cocaine and the Tyson chicken trucks that would be, ex- of course, exempt from ex- inspection. And that's that's another uh, a, a thing that, you know, they can point out. It's like, oh, yeah, how do they get past the Border Patrol? How do they get? Well, it's like it's hands off. They got the connections. And that's, that's how you get places in the United States. But you got to be connected. You got to be connected high up. Then you can run coke. You do whatever, and then you and then you get really, really, really big, like Tyson. Um, and then you can employ, you know, slave labor. You know, Mexicans imported up from there and all that, and they, they they're hands off and all that shit too. They're not gonna bust you and raid you if you're Tyson. Even though I've heard stories of them getting raided a couple of times, but that, that that's all for show. But that that is uh yeah how 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 it really works but um uh yeah why did I go off oh yeah the Rockefellers yeah uh so they they are certainly have a hand in, in the creation of Walmart but they'll give you the uh, just so story about uh, oh Sam Walton did it all he just hard working. Protestant work ethic man got got to hand it to him he's he's a hardworking guy and brilliant brilliant businessman you you watch a documentary about him it's 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 equally as fantastical but uh, yeah he single handedly got a uh, sweetheart deal with the red Chinese to in you know Heather to four there wasn't any like real you know way to to distribute goods from china into the united states i mean there was 
but not to the extent that uh, what was required to to pump up Walmart to the extent they were. But that just sort of uh, serendipitously happened at the behest of Sam Walton. Really? So he works out a deal with the red Chinese, the commie Chinese. And this is where, okay, we're really getting to the, the thick of how ridiculous things have to be in order to, to accept uh, standard reality as it's presented to you. So you got, we're fighting the commies, right? And then we're bring, you know, we're doing all that, and Oliver North is just doing what he has to do to, to fight the commies. And at the same time, oh, we're, we're going to flip around, and we got our top businessman here in the United States out of the little humble state of Arkansas. You know, he's just scraping and working and Protestant work ethic and everything else that he can do to to be on top. And he's he's got he's got connections and he's got he's he's. He's going to work a deal with a red Chinese. For freak's sake. What? Oh, yeah. Sam Walton and the red Chinese. Really? Some podunk guy out of Arkansas is in tight with the commie Chinese to get Chinese slave goods. And then he single-handedly just finagled the deal. And then magically all the, the ports and everything just retrofit themselves mystically and magically and to accommodate all those extra massive shipping vessels and 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 all the road infrastructure and everything just kind of magically materializes no you're looking at deep deep pockets and connections that go straight up to to make that happen but you're going to be told some fairy tale story about oh uh, the rags the the guy that came up you know the guy you know him Sam Walton and he he invented he reinvented the 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 five and dime store and turned it into a a a a, a mega conglom a corporate a worldwide international conglomerate of epic proportions just kind of single handedly on his own. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how it goes. That's how it works. Uh, I tend to have my doubts. I really do. <clears throat> About all that. But it looks like we ain't got uh, caller inners. Uh... So I'll proceed forward with all what to change topics entirely and go into something entirely different because uh, I looked at uh, fakeologist site. And he posts stuff from time to time about Flat Earth. Oh, and by the way, I wanted to thank Tim. He sent me a donation. And I appreciate that, man. For 3333. Put it in the form of magical numbers. Uh, 
Yeah, that's awesome, man. And as some other donators, I got Matt. He sent me some cashola in the form of a hundred bucks. Super appreciated, man. And uh, I got a notification from PayPal saying, "Oh, this person canceled their monthly uh, payment." And I was like, "Wait a minute! I didn't even know I had a monthly payment, but..." Looks like Bite Me Pet Toys. Bite Me Pet Toys. Like, uh, I'm not familiar with that individual. I, I don't I don't think they've contacted me about that or, or what's going on. But, um, yeah, it's, apparently they were they're sending me five a month and I didn't even know it. But I heard, uh, like Adam Curry and, and John Dvorak talking about, they'll get subscription payments, and PayPal for some reason autom- will automatically cancel them. So like I don't know if that's what happened or what, but in any case, I appreciate it. Uh, that's that's awesome. Um, I don't know what happened. Why I, I never saw that going into my PayPal account or what? Because I I do check it at, from time to time and. Uh, and uh, for some reason, I never saw that. I never was even aware that there was a a monthly uh, donation thing set up, which is bizarre. I don't know. But um, in any case, it's appreciated. So, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to shoot me a donation, do it on my uh, com donation button on there. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it helps out because... Uh, Oklahoma, believe it or not, is still, it's, you know, we adopted the money system too. So we got to pay for shit. And it helps to have some extra in the till. And, uh, yeah, it's awesome. I really appreciate it. Uh,. Here's a clip talking about how the Earth is not really spinning, and it's not really a globe. I don't know if the guy went into exactly what it is, he thought, the flat Earth model or what. But I was watching his video, and he was making some, some pretty good points. And then he launched into this discussion that I'm about to play here. And he kind of narrates it with some fictional scientists talking back and forth. And I was like, wow, that is a really good point. I never heard that presented like that before. But I'll just shut up and play this so you can check it on out. Uh, I'll have to dial it up here on my iPad iPad Plus or whatever this is. Okay, let's play this. But up up, get the speaker up here real position properly and fire this off. Scientists were debating the spinning globe theory, which was a relatively new and hotly debated concept. 
Most of the scientific community laughed in the faces of this new theory, as everyone knew the Earth was not a spinning globe. So, we're in a room with two scientists debating the new globe theory. Based on my calculations, I assert that the Earth is spinning at a thousand miles per hour near the equator. How do you know the Earth is spinning? Well, look at the stars, mate. The Earth must be spinning to cause the apparent movement in the stars. How in the hell can the Earth be spinning at around a thousand miles per hour? We don't just fly off the bloody planet at a thousand miles per hour. Well, here's how it works, mate. Since the Earth is so big, even though space is a vacuum, the Earth sort of pushes away at all the nothingness of space. But the nothing of, of space, like, pushes back. So you're trying to tell me that nothing is pushing down upon me with perfect amount of force in order to negate the perfect balance, the weight of the planet pushing up on my feet at a thousand miles per hour? And what are the odds that our planet is spinning in the perfect speed to account for the exact amount of gravity that's pushing down on my feet in perfect balance with the Earth rotating an arbitrary 1,000 miles per hour? Well, I don't know the odds of that happening, but I think the Earth is a globe, so it makes sense to me. So what happens if we get too close to the North Pole? What do you mean? What I mean is, if gravity is pushing down on my head with the perfect amount of force to keep me stuck to the Earth while it's spinning at a thousand miles per hour, then if we get too close to the North Pole, we should be squashed like a bug. What do you mean, squashed like a bug? Well, if the Earth is spinning at a thousand miles per hour at the equator, then say, a hundred feet from the North Pole, it will only be spinning at 1,308 feet per hour. That's about one quarter mile per hour, give or take. So we're talking about a ratio of 4,000 to 1 between the centripetal force at the equator and the centripetal force at the North Pole. No, silly. You don't understand gravity. Gravity is pushing down on the planet evenly at all points. I know that, you twit. But you don't seem to understand centripetal force. The centripetal force generated by the weight of the Earth going 1,000 miles per hour would be 4,000 times less if you're standing 100 feet from the North Pole. If gravity were pushing down with that much force at the North Pole, a 175-pound man at the equator would weigh 700,000 pounds at the North Pole. Right, well, you've never been to the North Pole. But if you did, you would weigh about 700,000 pounds. Actually, people have gone to the North Pole, and were never squashed like a bug. If you can understand this basic flaw in gravity, you have just proved that our world is not a spinning globe. So really, the Earth is not a spinning globe? Yeah, that's an interesting dialogue there about uh, gravity and such matters. Yeah, how about that? Centripetal force. Centripetal force? Centripetal force? Centripetal force? Is that how you say it? Well, um, 
spinning around and around. So there's mechanical forces involved. And then gravity counters those centrifugal forces. I've always heard it said centrifugal. The dude was saying centripical, but that's okay. And then his British accent was like, his fake British accent was like almost as bad as mine. But other than that, I thought that was a good exploration into that subject about gravity and the presupposition of that we're on the spinning earth and that gravity counters it. But yeah, what about centrifugal force? being less at the poles than it would be at the equator and you know considerably less a lot less and not having any kind of perceived uh, effect so it's on one hand it's it it's providing a a counterforce to negate the centrifugal force of the earth rotating at the equator and yet when you go to a position of the earth where centrifugal forces are or should be considerably less or nil then you don't go flat like a bug like the guy was saying smash you flat you go up to the north pole Da 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 da. Let's go to the North Pole. Ba ba ba. And then you just, man, I can't stand the pressure. Next thing you know, you're flat as a pancake. It doesn't happen though, does it? Accentius says centrifugal. That's what I thought. Jim in China says centrip centripetal. <laughs> I don't think so, dude. Centripetal. Is it centripetal? Can anybody look that up? Let's look it up. Come on. Ba da 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 da. It's the MF and information age. Let's look it up. Centrifugal. Uh, We're all learning together on the Hoaxbusters call. That's what we do here. Centrifugal. Centrifugal, centrifugal, okay, centrifugal, that's how you say it, no, it's spelt C-N-T-R-I-F-U-G-A-L, from the Latin centrum, meaning center, and fugere, meaning to flee, centrifugal, ba-ba-ba, yeah, but I've heard it's pronounced centrifugal. English is jacked, okay? Let's face that right now. If you don't believe me, look up the words uh, February and Wednesday and tell me that the English, English language and phonetic pronunciations and all that stuff have it's, it's arbitrary and, and dicked up, for lack of a better... You know, come on. That that's okay. 
but gravity is working in our best interest at all times and it it's like kind of evolution theory it can be molded to fit any kind of circumstance the i mean the globes uh, you sit you're standing on a globe and the in the and the friggin globe is spinning so fast and you got centrifugal force going on right because we're going around what a thousand miles an hour or something like that crazy like that spin spin spinning around like a like a bunch of freaks I don't know if I even like that idea we're spinning around through space okay Jim is telling me to suck it because he's got the link to send centripetal force okay man Ba da ba da ba. What is that? Okay, well. Now, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there's some totally alternative pronunciation and. Is this even the same thing, though? Any motion on a curved path represents accelerated motion, requires a force directed towards the center of a curved path. The force is called centripetal force, which means center seeking force. And the force has, mag the, force has the magnitude of some kind of smacked up equation there swinging a mass on a string and on and on uh, so yeah you're right man centripetal so what is centrifugal force this is becoming how do we know anything about nothing about no anything Centrifugal is moving or tending to move away from a center. So it's like if you get on one of those merry-go-rounds. You ever do that as a kid? You get the thing spinning, man, like fast. And 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 the other kids that can run faster or maybe bigger, because they usually like. I remember being like like a little kid, and then. Like it'd be like practically teenager pushing the thing, and it's like all oh, the smaller kids would get on the middle, and it's like, holy crap, I can't even hang on to the freaking thing. Like stop already, and they're spinning and getting it going as fast as they can, and laughing at you, and you're like, you start to even panic because it's like this, you're getting pulled to the outside, and you just know you're gonna get freaking clobbered if you let go of your grip. But that's the centrif centrifugal force. And that's that merry-go-round's not even close to a thousand miles per hour. But you, I've seen YouTube videos where, oh yeah, let's hook it up to like a motor, or let's get my quad runner over here, and let's rig it up so we can get this merry-go-round spinning. And then yeah, you can know the bad outcome that happens, that ensues after yeah pretty horrendous it's like why do you do that why would you not see that coming where you go it fires you off of the thing you get it going fast enough and that's not even close to a thousand miles per hour imagine the forces involved on something the size and the weight and the mass of the earth going a thousand miles per hour
but gravity takes care of that. Jim says centripetal, I can't even say that, Centrip, centripetal is man-made. Centrifugal occurs naturally. So we're talking about centrifugal. Uh, so where's the conversation leading? Somebody asked in the chat. Essentia. I don't know. It's kind of the what we're told all the time. Is it true? Uh, I see these flat earth videos and stuff out there. It's like uh, they seemingly have some pretty good points about some stuff. But if you're inclined not to question anything, I guess you wouldn't be interested in it. Uh, but see, I, I don't, I don't know. I get conflict, I get conflicted on this subject. So it's kind of, I see the point on one hand, but then there's this whole thing about, well, if the earth is spinning or let's say the earth is not spinning, it's stationary. Well, does that prove that it's flat? Well, not necessarily. You can still be a globe and, but then you're going to have to contend with, uh, the whole issue of the sun so that means the sun is rotating around the earth instead of vice versa and then I've heard too like yeah if you take the calculations they work out the same whether or not you're a stationary earth or the earth is spinning so really the calculations aren't telling you anything so what does that mean I, I don't know I don't know enough about all the math and stuff to work it out for myself so there's not a whole lot of this I can verify firsthand for myself aside from getting into a boat and going to the Antarctic and try to traverse it and then look at what my instruments say on my ship or whatever on my boat. And uh, like the point I was trying to make before about this whole thing, it's like, okay, if there's like a... If we're on a flat earth and there's some sort of ice rim around it, kind of like a martini or something, or it's like got the salt on the edge of glass, but instead of salt, it's ice. I mean, it's trying to get a mental picture of what's happening. So you go to the Antarctic, and instead of Antarctic being a landmass that's in the form of like an island, it's going to be a landmass that's in the form of a ring that's going to go around a circumference, and then if you start to follow it, you're going to you're going to go on a completely different trajectory than if you're on when you're circumnavigating a continent that's basically an island. You see what I mean? And that would seem readily verifiable or falsifiable or whatever you want to say. But, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to call in and talk about this, it'd be cool. Jim in China, if he's got telephone services at China, you could call in if you wanted to. Uh, is there any other caller intertypes in the chat? Sean 
he called in before, but I don't know if he likes to call in or not. Well, I'd like to know his thoughts on cosmology or flat earth or whatever. Ba da 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 da, ba ba da 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 da, ba ba ba. Cosmology, flat earth. Can ancient sun gazing therapy help reactivate the calcified pineal gland? A somewhat unusual and long forgotten healing protocol that dates back thousands of years is making a major comeback in the modern day. Advocates say that it can help dramatically improve sleep quality, boost energy levels, improve eyesight, enhance endocrine health, and perhaps most interestingly, decalcify the pineal gland. The technique is known as sun gazing or sun eating and it dates back more than 2,000 years to ancient India. By staring at the sun for short intervals every day at specified times throughout the day, claim advocates, sun gazers are imparted with the universal energy force that drives all life. Eating, quote unquote, the sun, in other words, is said to literally infuse energy into the cells throughout the body. Uh, sun gazing is a practice also known as sun eating. Is a strict regimen of gradually allowing sunlight into your eyes at specific periods of the day, explains Earth Clinic. The goal when implementing the practice is to look into the sun at periods of the lowest ultraviolet index, which occurs at sunrise and sunset each day. The beneficial effects of this practice can be dramatic depending on a person's individual health status, with the results ranging from reduced pain and improved cognition to physical healing and expanded consciousness. Much of this has to do with the way energy from the sun helps decalcify the pineal gland. And I heard like fluoride calcifies your old pineal gland. And uh, so people are walking around with calcified pineal glands. And uh, that's not a good thing. Oh, Jim and Chine's calling. Let's pick them up on the Hoaxbusters call. Hang on. You're on the air. Go ahead. <laughs> Hello. Hey. Hey, Jim. How you doing, man? I'm good, dude. How's it going? Uh, quite reasonable, I guess. Uh, are you back in China now, man, or what? Yeah, I've been back since uh, February. Good. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's centric. The centripetal centripetal thing is very confusing. For the the way I understand it is, centripetal force is a, is referred to as a false force. Like when you're in a car and you suddenly crank the wheel to the right, you you go to the left. Whereas uh, yeah. cent, centrifugal force is has to do with spinning bodies. So yeah, so cent, centrifugal force is spinning bodies. Right, centrifugal force is a false. Uh, feeling of of being pushed in a direction that occurs um, in man-made things. That's that's the way I was told it, it was. But you know, that's what that's what the man tells you. So who who cares? Well, right. But yeah, it's uh, the guy on the video had it wrong. Right? Did he? Well, he said centripetal. I think he was confusing those two terminologies. Which I, I, I imagine is easy to do. It's like yeah. they're very similar, <laughs> but 
you know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not pounding on the guy or nothing, but he, he, he the only thing is like the way he was saying it, and I was like, well, I, I've always heard it pronounced a, a centrifugal, but I know what he was talking about. He was, you know, but I didn't, but I wasn't aware of the other definition and what that meant. So, yeah, that's that's good to get familiar with that stuff <laughs> if you're going to talk about it. You know what I mean? Sure, if you care. <laughs> it's not really right. important. Well, I mean, yeah. But, like, what is what um, is the deal in China? Like, what what is the news over there? What can you share? Because I'm always interested in foreigners and all that. <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean? I, I don't watch the news, so I don't really know what's going on. Like, you can't watch the news anyway because it's all ching-ching, chong, chew right. this and that and other things. Yeah. doesn't make yeah, any it damn sense. Gets, gets boring very quickly. That's what United States news is to me. Sounds like a bunch of freaking jive. Well, it is. Right. I come here to get my news. Well, that's you know, you're at the right place. The only reliable outlet I know of. So you're going to sun gaze then? Uh, yeah, I've done that quite a bit here because the, the pollution is so thick that you can <laughs> stare at the sun for hours because there's a big haze in front of it. Oh, yeah, so it probably helps. I mean, yeah, I say you don't want to look directly into the sun if it's, you know, at noon or, you know, which makes sense. I, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. But if it's, at, you know, it's, the, it's kind of the afternoon, evening time, the sun's kind of low on the horizon or in the morning. Uh, I do it then. I start yeah, doing it, you know, with the with the doing the Bates method and all that. And uh, yeah, I wish I was doing more. I mean, it's been raining so much recently that I haven't been taking my regular walks that I normally do. But uh, when I do take my walks, uh, so I'm walking, and if I'm heading, you know, west, um, well, then that's all in question too, right? If the earth, you know, what's west and what's south, and what? Never mind. But yeah, you know what I mean. But like, if sure. I'm walking into the sun, in other words, and I look at it, and I, I don't, I don't stare at it for, you know, multiple minutes, but I, I can look at it. I can look around the, you know, periphery of it, and um, just to get the sun kind of, you know, directly going into my eyes. And uh, yeah, it does. It does have like a rejuvenating effect. It, it's it's really it's it's really doing something. I mean, you could tell if you try it. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're only supposed to do it in the when the sun is just about going down or just coming up. Besides that, it's supposed to be dangerous. Yeah, but I'll have to say, and I'm not making any kind of suggestions that anybody else do it. But I've looked at the sun when it was fairly high up in the sky it wasn't directly overhead but it was it was fairly high up in the sky and i just freaking stared at it for like a pretty extended period of time and uh, i was like uh yeah it's, it's fine i had a a spot you know where like you could keep it like it'll burn a spot onto your retina and then you'll keep seeing it you know you've done that before yeah like, like a flashbulb like a flashbulb will do and stuff like that that's what it was like and uh, I did it one time, and I was like, "Oh crap! Did I, did I jack my, did I mess my eyes up?" I was like, "Nah, it went away." I wasn't really concerned about it because your the cells in your eyes and your retina and stuff 
is is one of the parts of your body that rejuvenates itself like uh, pretty rapidly. So like if you're the cells of your cornea or the cells of parts of your eye, I I, I forget what it is, but it but they'll they're, they're new they're, they create new cells like every like four days or something like that. So you, it's like you're if you burn them out or whatever they get they get replaced. But I you know that's I'm not saying like uh um. You could be kind of real, should be careless or anything like what you, what you're looking at. But I I I, I think there's, it's like uh, this whole thing about the sun and like people are so afraid of even getting sun on their skin, and everybody wears sunglasses and stuff. I I think that's part of a uh, an agenda to weaken people. No, I, I agree. I, I did that for a while because I just got sick of Chinese people, so I started wearing sunglasses everywhere I went, even on the subway and stuff. And, so you don't uh, have to make eye contact with a Chinese. Yeah, I was just yeah, I was being antisocial there for a while, and I noticed that my ability to to perceive the the intensity of colors was becoming muted over time. And then I, after uh, talking to Mark about you know um, eye, eyeglasses stuff, I I just stopped wearing them. And in just like a month, it got better to where I could see stuff that I used to see that that I used to think, oh, this was that color blue. And then I'd look at it and think, oh, wow, that's like like they must have replaced a sign or something. It's so it looks like the same sign, but it's it's you know more vivid. And then I figured out that it was actually my eyes had just adjusted and gotten better since I stopped wearing sunglasses. So yeah, from I, what I, I understand, I it that, that something that sunglasses will do too is that. Um, you have natural, you know, skin pigment, you know, it's like, you know, that it's, it's obvious when you get out, you know, some people don't, but most, you know, people have, well, at least freckle, you know, in the sun. So you have pigmentation in your skin. Well, you also have, uh, melanin or pigmentation in your eyes. And then, you know, you expose your eyes to sunlight and stuff. You'll have a natural, uh, UV blockage and stuff that you're, your eyes create for your skin just like the you know the melanin in your skin and if you wear sunglasses all the time your eyes won't develop it but that's that's an interesting thing you bring up there about you, you could you, you saw colors muted and everything yeah yeah mm-hmm. you need natural sunlight in your eyes man i'm i'm convinced of it now yeah i enjoy it now when when walking around without sunglasses on and it you know bright sunlight all that i i you know like think about what, what you said about having natural sunglasses built in and you know when you squint your eyes and your eyelashes kind of cover your eyeball a bit it, it kind of works the same way it yeah try to find uh yeah try to find a photograph like go through nature f- photography and try to find an eagle or trying to f- well maybe not an eagle they look like they're squinting but like uh or any uh, a cheetah or an elephant or something like that, and uh, or anything that's squinting. Nobody, nothing's out in the water. You know, the savanna of the uh, Africa, you know, that's lit up pretty good. I mean, it's not, you know, bright bright daylight sun and stuff like that. You know, animals aren't going around squinting or anything like that. They don't have trouble with with uh, full blown sun. Like, what? Why do? Why are humans walking around with freaking accoutrements on their head? to block out sun we're the only living creature on the planet that does that if you think about it it's pretty stupid right well we do a lot of stupid things 
<laughs> like yeah, clothes. that's what the show is about. It's stupid shit that we all take for granted that it's appropriate, but it's really not. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. So, I mean, it's, well, if you take the time to think certain things through and you're pro, uh, applying critical thinking skills and reason and logic and you're trying to reconcile certain things, uh, you, you can a lot of times come away with uh, these realizations and they'll and they'll come on you like sometimes like they do me where it's like wow that is so absurd and it's and you get stricken with this sense of the of the absurdity of a lot of stuff it's just it's so so ridiculous it's 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 amazing all the stuff that people will take for granted that's just nonsensical well, it's conditioning too. We're being, we're conditioned to think certain ways and to follow the herd. And now everybody wears sunglasses. Everybody, all the time. Anytime they're outside, inside too. It's like, why do you got this? You're wearing sunglasses. But you say you're wearing them for like so, social avoidance purposes or something like that. So mm-hmm. you had like an. Yeah, I noticed it was it was separating me from people too. You know, it was it was putting a wall up between me and communication between people that when I would want to talk to people, it would you know make people standoffish. So I just abandoned it and found it much more enjoyable to be out amongst the public when when I can actually look someone in the eye and they can look look at me back. Well, yeah, an interesting aside about that is uh, like when they did this. Stanford prison experiment they gave all the guards like mirrored sunglasses and you see that in that film uh, Cool Hand Luke where the where the where the head prison guard dude always had the mirrored sunglasses on and you and you see like a lot of cops and certainly a lot of like troops occupying Afghanistan and shit like that they get issued like a pair of wrap around like Oakley blade sunglasses that obscure their eyes. And, and I, and I think there's this, yeah, like you mentioned that it, it, it separates you sort of psychologically or in social contexts and stuff like that, where you're, you're not making eye contact. And I think that's, uh, it's kind of like a, uh, in, in some contexts it's like a, like a tactic especially like an authoritarian sort of contrived relationship where you got the mirrored sunglasses and they can't, nobody can look you in the eye, you know? Right. You look like a a giant bug. And it can be, uh, sort of intimidating. Oh, is he looking at me or not? Or I guess you just can then, project onto that individual whatever that you're feeling internally and if you have all your conditioning firmly in place like if an authority figures stepping up on you and they got mirrored sunglasses on then that I could see how that would be sort of an extra layer of uh, you know of the costume that's effective. But you see that a lot. 
see that a lot with cops. You see that a lot with, uh, yeah, any footage you see of the occupying troops overseas and stuff, they always have the sunglasses on. Well, of course, it's the desert and shit, too, but, you know, but still. The native, the, the, uh, Afghanis and the, uh, Iraqis and stuff, they're not wearing sunglasses in the desert, generally speaking. Good point. Yeah, I'm sure the police are wearing them because they tell each other that it's more effective to, to wear sunglasses when doing an interview. Is it the intimidation value? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. It's probably in the handbook somewhere. Probably. That would explain why you see so many of them wearing them. Yeah. Yeah, when I was back, everybody I talked to, they, you know, even people in my family, they, you know, people who don't, who don't break laws, you know, they, they were all mentioning how the, the police are everywhere now and that they're pulling everybody over. People who used to never get tickets were getting several, and uh, it was definitely a different situation than I had remembered. You know, the last time I was in the U.S., so it was it was noticeable. Yeah, where is it? You said that you're from in the U.S. Um, Portland, Oregon. Portland. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, what did I hear about Portland recently? It was um, oh. That Portland has, per capita, like the highest rate of unvaccinated children in the United States. Oh, really? Which makes sense, because it's all, a lot of people are all into uh, organic foods and stuff like that, you know. That's what I gather. I've never been there, but I, I get mm. that impression. It's sort of an enclave for alternative medicine and uh, organic foods and sort of a hippie yippy kind of uh, atmosphere environment you, you do you get that impression yeah I, I would say so um, but uh, honestly the last few times that I've been back all, all I notice is how much how similar every place looks in the US because I've flew back to a few different places when I was taking a holiday and I noticed everything looked almost identical with the the, the signs on the malls and the, you know all, all the stores have the same kind of signs on them now and the buildings are all kind of the same shape you know it's like for, for me uh, the, the US looks exactly the same you know every, everywhere I look at You know, it's been yeah. it's been standardized. Oh, yeah, I was like talking about that at length with uh, Paul from New York. He was talking about that. Yeah, yes. the, uh, Portland is the uh, the Rosicrucian city. Did you know that? Yeah, I remember this came up in discussion before. I, th I guess you brought the city it up. of roses. City yeah, of Roses. Is, there's is lots of official title. Yeah, City of Roses, and they they have lots of uh, in the architecture. You see lots of uh, old, you know, churchy looking Rosicrucian type uh, symbolism in a lot of places. Probably founded by a, a Rosicrucian. Chances are good. 
I, I heard most of the people from Portland originally came from Boston, uh, and that the most of the West Coast was settled by people from Boston that were that didn't travel across across land. They took ships around the Horn to the other side, and and uh, that's why the nowadays it's it's like blue states on the west side and blue states on the east side because that's where the people come from. So the the people brought with them their beliefs, so that's why it's mostly democratic. Whatever that yeah, means. that's the whole interesting thing about how the, the eastern the eastern states in that region of the country is, uh, say, more eastern influence or, you know, kind of uh, eastern thought. And then, the, sure. you know, West Coast is a, well, to some degree it's the opposite, but. The eight. Well, actually, do I got it backwards? Isn't the Pacific country uh, the the countries like California stuff that are the, on the Pacific Ocean the Eastern influenced? Right. And the opposite would be the opposite. Uh, more of a European influence. I guess. Uh, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, honestly, but on the election maps is, is why I bring that up. That you know, it always seems to go the the Republicans capture most of the middle, and uh, the, the Democrats get the the outside, the periphery, the the, the coasts of the, the U.S. Seems to be a trend. Those are all fixed, of course. So who knows? Right. Yeah. Is it is it something uh, that's uh a result of a planned out deal or what? You know, you gotta wonder about that. Uh, yeah, uh, I know that Portland originally was was the original name was either going to be Portland or Boston, and it was it was named after either Portland, Maine, or Boston, Massachusetts, and it was decided by a coin flip that it was going to be Portland because the the people around there wanted to name it after where they were from. Portland. Yeah, a lot of ports. It's got a big river running down the middle of it, so that makes sense. But what's weird about the state is it's Portland is where is like the entire center of all metro type stuff. It's it's the most city like, and the rest of the state is is uh, all nice and beautiful forests and country. So it's it's very divided uh, that way. People people from Portland don't like people from the rest of the area, rest of the state, and vice versa. A lot of coniferous trees and yeah, clear cuts. If you look at it on the map now, it's sad. It looks almost like a checkerboard over the, the forest. There's you zoom in and you see huge areas of clear cut now. Oh yeah. With all with tons of really good looking wood on laying around on the ground too, which makes me wonder. You know they 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 cut down the tree, but they they do such a, a shoddy job of it. They they leave half of it to rot on the forest floor. You know you'd think if they if they were being smart about it, they would use all of the tree and then not have to cut down so many. Oh really? So they just cut it down and just leave it laying there? Yeah, they leave tons of of uh, like the, you know the, the the smaller branches. They just cut those off and leave them on the ground and take the the center part to to the middle. Oh, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, but uh, you you would think that that would be useful, but I, I think their excuse is that they have to leave something to to rot and go back into the into the cycle to go back into the ground. Oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, but if you look at it on a map, it looks it doesn't look like somebody's being natural about it. It doesn't seem like they're they're planning for the future. It looks like they're just taking it out one chunk at a time. Like the Willamette National Forest, if it's one of the biggest forests in the in the country. It's it's massive, and if you zoom in on that, you'll see that even the you know the the old growth parts that are supposedly protected have clear cuts going all the way through it. Oh yeah, deforestation and uh, yeah, that's probably you're gonna see that probably in most places that are a lot of woods around and, and that sort of thing unless it's some sort of protected area mm -hmm. I would think you know, that would be there's, but. There's, there's hardly any animals in Oregon too because the uh, back in the day before when the when uh, England or not England but um, the when Canada still controlled that area when it was like the Oregon Territory they were going to turn it over to to the United States and uh, they sent all, like the Hudson Bay Company sent all of their trappers into Oregon for like two months to try and trap out everything they could before they turned it over. So that's oh. why nowadays, that's why all you see now is deer, maybe, and some wolves that have been reintroduced. Yeah. But as far as like, wild animals, there's almost none. It's just, you know, birds and nothing, nothing walking around on the ground because it's all been killed off, trapped out a long time ago. So they just decimated the whole wildlife population there yeah there's not a lot of bears because they're they all killed if you have to go to like uh idaho before you start getting into bear company again country wow they again. don't they don't have any bears not a lot they were their their pelts were valuable back then so they they killed them off too wow that's sad <clears throat> well yeah that's uh they say too the um like along the eastern seaboard, like they they had so many massive trees uh, that that it used to be, um, you know, all these old growth forests and stuff, and these massive trees. Like you see, well, you still see that on the west coast with the redwoods and all that. They said that's the same thing on the east coast, where you had these just massive forests full of uh, these, you know, old growth huge trees, and. Uh, I forget what type of tree it's dogwood i don't know I, I think and uh yeah that was co totally wiped out and uh all those native parrots and all kinds of birds and stuff that were completely wiped out like early like like in the 1800s yeah. in the united states so we live in the we're living here in the united states and it probably looks completely different from what it was you know, oh, yeah, yeah. when it was yeah, originally but, settled. Yeah, yeah, the Columbia River originally had uh, sturgeon in it so large that they had to be pulled out with a team of oxen. Holy shit. You know, yeah, they had like dinosaurs swimming in that thing back in the day and they, they got fished out within probably 50 years. Oh, yeah. After, after it got settled. Wow. That's intense, man. Yeah, now now a big sturgeon is like, like six foot maybe. <laughs> yeah, but it's still a huge fish. I've seen pictures of those and they're, oh, they're big. But yeah, probably yeah. nothing like they used to have. 
Yeah, they're weird looking. They look like like fossils. So you think about it, like they had massive roaming herds of caribou up in that area, and then like uh, of course here in the Midwest and stuff, or you know the whole plains regions of the country, there was massive herds of buffalo, and uh, you know the those massive herds and the, their effects on the ecology and stuff like that, how they you know, have this symbiotic relationship with the, you know, the soil and the ground and the earth and, you know, they're defecating, putting, you know, fertilizer into the earth. And at the same time, they're kind of, you know, disturbing the ground with the hooves and that kind of opens things up to oxygenate and to kind of get stuff stirred up for the microorganisms and all that, um, which would allow certain types of plants and stuff to, to grow and it, you know that all that shit's gone now, like you know it's probably. I mean, the the landscape is probably just totally unrecognizable from what it used to be. You know, you probably if you were to go back in a time machine or something and look at the United States, you know, a couple hundred years ago or whatever, and then you probably wouldn't even recognize where you were at. Right, and is it is it where you are? Is it all uh, corn and soybeans? Like uh, the like the Midwest. Uh, there's a lot of wheat and uh, alfalfa and um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure like uh, not so much corn here. I mean, you see it, but it's 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 not really a a dominant kind of crop. You see like a lot of cotton, a lot of like alfalfa. It's like a lot of um, stuff that's kind of geared around uh, you know stuff you can feed to cattle and. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure where all that stuff goes. Probably to maybe to Texas, and um, so they raise stuff here to be cow feed for different cattle ranches and stuff around. Uh, but there is a lot of a lot of wheat. I was just looking up like how this rain is going to affect the wheat crops this year, and it said that the they're looking at a much better harvest. Then last year, of course, with the drought and all that. But then uh, I saw I was looking at the newspaper, and it's all oh, that the farmers are gonna be in bad shape because of you know, too much rain. And thinking, I like, which is it, man? You know, is it is it bad for the crops or is it good for the crops? And then you, know, you get to thinking about it, and it's like, well, probably it probably has a lot to do with where where you're at in particular as far as your your wheat crop or whatever you may be in a region that's uh where the rain's going to give you problems or you know but, but of course you know the rain is not consistent across every county you know so um hey do you ever see any signs of that super highway that that was being talked about years ago with the you know the new world order trans texas corridor yeah, yeah, you're near that. Do you do you ever see anything, any evidence of that? No, I remember looking at that where they're going to run that through. Uh, I think it's going to go up through like St. Louis, and uh, so that's pretty far east of here. And uh, yeah, I haven't heard much about it lately. Um, yeah, there's the people raising a big stink about it for a while, but uh, I I haven't heard much about it recently. You know, it's funny that the, the you know all the, they had us so scared years ago with all that 
propaganda, and you know, it seems like nothing's really changed that much. I don't, I don't really see it, you know, turning into, uh, you know, like the Agenda Twenty One map. But uh, you know, there's always there's time still, I guess, because it's supposed to be till the end of the century, right? So maybe it's these changes are still to come, or maybe that was just something to scare the crap out of people on the internet. It's hard to tell anymore. Yeah, the NAFTA superhighway. <clears throat> Look that up. Um, yeah, I got a map here of it. Let's see. Oh, I can't even tell what's going on in this one. Yeah, it's supposed to run up through Oklahoma. But that'd be way, that'd be east of here. I can't see what it, what cities it's supposed to go through. Uh, I see that, that, yeah, I don't know much about it at this point. Oh, here's another map. Okay. Oh, so it's going to go from Fort Worth, and it looks like it shoots directly up to Oklahoma City, and goes out to Kansas City, and up into uh, somewhere in Iowa, huh? Yeah, I don't know where that's at. What, what, uh, as far as the development of that. Yeah, all that fear mongering we heard in the past we're supposed to be boiling hot by now because of Al Gore's predictions and all the NWO predictions were supposed we're supposed to be living on the Death Star by now, but it doesn't really seem to be <laughs> happening. Oh yeah. Did you ever wonder about that? All this stuff that that people have found on the internet. You know, most of us in the know, or you know, most of us that are fairly intelligent, realize that that this stuff was put there for us to run into. You know, was it was it put there for us to run into because it's real and it's going to happen, or is it just there to to you know polarize a small group of weirdos on the internet? I wonder about that. You know, if like this conspiracy group is is created and molded for for something rather than just people who just happen to run into something when they're browsing. You ever think about that? Yeah, I think a lot of it is. Uh, like with these military troop movements and stuff like that, I, I uh, like Alex Jones will pound on that, and you know, like this uh, drill and stuff that's going on. Like a, you know, a, you know, he's inferring that it's going to turn into something uh, like a mass gun confiscation or some scenario like that, or rounding people up, putting them in FEMA camps, and uh, it, I just see it as kind of like a provocation it's it's kind of get people steered up and um right to what to what end well that's the thing i was you know is it to some you know to, to keep steering people up until there's an eventual uh you know standoff between troops and cops and the regular average person Oh, I don't know. Seems like a lot, a lot would need to happen before that came about. 
But, um, yeah, I don't rule it out, but, uh, I, I, I just don't, I just, I, I just can't see how that exactly would play out in real life. You know, it just seems, uh, pretty far-fetched. Right. Because you would have to have a situation where either there's, like, these militia groups or something like that, and I believe there's, like, these militia groups that are out there that are largely controlled by the, you know, feds. And uh, could they do some kind of phony baloney uh, setup deal where it's uh, staging something to give everybody the appearance that there's a civil war happening and and then they kind of get everybody kind of really steered up and make some drastic changes based upon some scenario like that or something. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if that's out of the realm of possibility. But but something that's like a an actual kind of grassroots organic movement that it kind of gets built up where people kind of are spontaneously self organizing and stuff like that. I just don't believe that happens. If if you see it happening, like kind of a march on the what what is it, the Occupy movements or something like that. It's like you, we were talking about that before. Like Marcus was showing us that. Uh, Advertisement. He got off Craigslist. Remember that? It's like, yeah, come on down. Got free pizza and stuff, and march around in circles <laughs> with signs. We're gonna pay you good money to be a protester. And it's like, oh yeah, that sounds like a sweet deal. Get on that. Set up a tent down there in uh, Washington D.C. or whatever. Smoke some bud. Eat some free pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Right. George Soros is fun footing the bill for the party. Come on down, everybody. That's what happens. Yeah, that, that now were there real was... people there? Yeah, there was real people there. Really pissed off. Yeah, but the the bulk of it was some paid operation that got it kicked off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the and the the media, the celebrity media, got into it. They started supporting it and pushing pushing the meme out there for people to. To join it, and then uh, then it all just kind of petered out and went away when it got cold. Winter one. Yeah, speaking of Marcus, you talked to Marcus, you said, recently? No. No, I haven't talked to him for a long time. So is, you think he's just totally incommunicado right now? or? Yeah, I would think so. Um, he's concentrating on uh, taking care of himself, I'm sure, which is the right move. You know, I, I support that. I don't have a problem with Mark. He's working on being the next J.D. Rockefeller of marketing. He's going to single-handedly uh, engulf the whole online marketing uh, business. Yeah, I don't know. I, if he does, you know, congratulations. I hope he does. If um, From what I knew, the, the last thing I heard was that talking to us was slowing him down from doing what he wanted to be doing anyway. So he he just abandoned it all and shut down Truth in Seven Minutes and just, just went, went radio silent. Just focuses energies into something else. Yeah, didn't you get that email saying to to 
cancel your uh, vault subscription and or unsubscribe or whatever because it's he's shutting it down. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I didn't read that as him not doing talks anymore ever again or nothing like that. I just figured he's restructuring or whatever. Mm. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, wish him all the luck in the world. Oh, yeah, me too. Uh, I don't have any beef with Marcus at all. Yeah. I don't know I don't if he have, does have a beef with me or not, but I hope he doesn't. Yeah. I'm I'm interested in talking to anybody who who comes on these kind of talks, but I find no one's really interested in talking to me except for yourself and, and Frank. You were doing your your uh, podcast thing, right? Yeah, and then I uh, my internet ran out and I moved, so I was I was out of internet for a while, and I got it again, but I got uh, Chinese censored internet, so it's really crappy. I barely use it. Commie internet. Yeah, it's re- it's lame. You go to any any site that speaks English, it immediately kicks you off and says, you know, cannot be connected. And then you have to ah. hit refresh a few times, and then it will go. Even like Yahoo, sometimes it does that. It's it's so annoying. It like oh, punishes that. you for looking at something that's not at all in Chinese. Wow, that would oh that would infuriate me. Yeah, it's so it really sucks paying for it. How are you on Skype right now? You, did you get? Uh... Skype works, uh, TalkShoe works, uh, you know, Fakeologist, all all those sites, Truth and Ten Minutes, they they all work. It's just uh, any yeah. Google pro- product, which includes YouTube, so you can't look at any of that. Any uh, most social media is uh, banned. Yeah, so I people- called up uh, Hang Chow Men of the Red Chinese Army, and he he cut me some slack on letting it get through the. You know the Great Firewall of China. He said, "Yeah, sure. you know, cool man." So yeah, uh, you just talk to them nice; they'll let you through. Yeah, well, you're not much of a threat to them. You're not, you know, you're not doing China busters. So what do they yeah. care? I can't talk China talk or nothing. <laughs> so they know, they know they, they're gonna infiltrate into the minds of the Chinese. A lot of them speak English, though, right? Yeah, not terribly well. They can't really speak. Verbally, they can read it more than anything else, because they read in school. So they they learn how to read English phonetically. So they're reading it in in Chinese pronunciation. So if they wow. said it out loud, it wouldn't make any sense to you. <laughs> A lot of good that does, I guess. I don't know. Not That's not much. No. Now they, they they're getting better over time. Like now nowadays, the average you know eight year old is can actually hold a conversation with you, but it's not. It's not very deep. Yeah, you're an English teacher over there, and they're wanting anybody to come over there and and teach English, right? I mean, they're really trying to get English incorporated into the uh, China's mm-hmm. the international language of business. Yeah, yeah, as, as decided by the the man. Are they having a hard time? Finding people to fulfill those teaching roles over there. Or? Yeah, people are leaving. In you know, it's slowly trickling off where people are just starting to leave over time because people just they don't like it here. It's it's not fun if you especially if you've lived your whole life in the U.S. It's it's messed up. And then 
there's people from other countries that, that come here and stay longer, but usually it's like the messed up countries that that those are the people that stay here the longest. Like people from South Africa are perfectly happy in China because they're <laughs> not being killed by by the blacks back home. Yeah, so that, that, it's that, like that, um, it's definitely a better option. Get your head chopped off with a machete or yeah, put kick it, it in China. It's like look, get, China yeah. looks really good. Get a, get a tire put around you and petrol dumped on you. Yeah, what do they call that? Uh, Xenophobic crimes? No, there's a term for getting a tire around your neck and set on fire. I forget what that's called, but yeah, that's oh, yeah. not that's no fun. <clears throat> yeah, I can see not wanting that and that that happening, and then so they yeah so they'll hang out, they'll stay there, but Americans that are American, yeah, I mean, I sound like I bash the United States, but. Um, Oh, you know, of course, comparing it to another country, that doesn't really say a lot. But, you know, we do have it pretty good here in comparison to some other places, I, I would, you know. Sure. I would think. I never lived in any country like, like you're doing now, so I can't yeah. really speak a lot about that in particular. But I have visited some other places, and... uh I get the impression, though, a lot of places I've visited, it's like, man, it would be totally cool to live here, you know, if you had family, friends, and all that, and it's like, say that, it'd be like, because it seems, especially like South America or somewhere like that, it's it's like, just people seem a lot more at ease, mm-hmm. you know, like, everything's not so fucking uptight and so on the clock, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're more in touch with their humanity. Yeah, yeah, that's a better way to put it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got that impression just kind of not spending a whole lot of time, but, get, you know, getting getting out to some of those other countries and getting to check them out. And, yeah, and it's like, wow, it seems uh, that um, things are pretty good, you know. In, in some of these foreign countries. Yeah, if you're, I think if you're from somewhere else, it's good to go to another country. Like if you're, if you're from China and you moved to the U.S., you'd be loving it. But if you're a Chinese person in China, you'd be hating it, and vice versa. You know, like I, I like being over here because I don't have to view the American propaganda. If I don't want to, I can shut it all off and you know just think for myself without having the influence. But if if I was a Chinese person living over here, I would, I'm sure I would hate it because everything would be I would be seeing all the all the banners and billboards and listening to all the propaganda and stuff, and it would would have an effect on you after a while. Just like being an American in the United States, you feel the effect of of you know the the TV and the people around you talking and the social social proof and all that. How it it, it tends to influence people whether they realize it or not over time. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like how, as far as, um, you know, you get paid pretty good money, right? How is it, as far as, like, your your, uh, purchasing power, I guess I would say, like, you could, does it it seem like your income that you get there, you you could live a lot more comfortably in China than if you had that same income, like, say, in Oregon? Uh, not anymore. A few years ago, the uh, in, inflation started going up quite a bit, and rent started going up 
around here. So it's it's now it's 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 still cheaper, barely, but it's it's definitely much more expensive for uh, the things you want, especially something from back home. You know, like if you get pizza here, you're gonna pay like you know three times as much for it, and for, and it's crappy pizza. You know, so it's if you want to live cheap here and just eat rice and and beans and you know li- live as as close to the line as you can, then then you can save money. But that's not really much of a life e- either, you know. So right now I'm kind of torn. I, I I love it here, but I I also wouldn't mind being back in the U.S. more often just to 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 feel a little more normal. The yeah. the teacher the teachers who stay here a long time they. They tend to go a little crazy if you've stayed, stayed in China the whole time because it, it gets to you. Like culture be, shock or something, right? Yeah. Well, you're, you're stared at from the second you leave your apartment until you come back. <laughs> there's they're, they're, People will stop talking about whatever they're talking about and completely change the conversation, start talking about you as you're walking down the street. Some That's funny because I would really think they'd be used to seeing gringos and stuff there. Yeah, you would, but they're... They're constantly coming. New people are coming to the city all the time. Oh the yeah, yeah. Cycling in and out, <laughs> so it never ends. I wish it would, but but I guess I wouldn't get paid as much if I didn't. If, if that wasn't a, a thing. And then plus, like, like you're you're taller than average, so yeah. like you really stand out there, huh? You're talking yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm ridiculously tall here. <laughs> <laughs> like you're towering over everybody as you're walking in a crowd or something. Yeah, it's and then on of top of that, it's, it's like you're a, you're already a, a noteworthy just because you're white and American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see how that would get on your nerves after a while. Like shit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm most a gringo. Of, Fuck, here I am. Uh, gosh. Yeah. Most of the teachers leave every six months to every three months to six months just to get out of the country. They'll go to Thailand or the Philippines or back home. Just yeah, so they Thailand. Get, they wouldn't give a shit. Because there's, yeah, what do they call, what's the Chinese slang for a American? Like, I'm sure they have some kind of derogatory slang term for you, right? Yeah, I don't think they have one for an American because they love Americans. But for, like, foreigners in general, it's, uh, Guilao is the racist term. <laughs> I mean, ghost person. <laughs> and then, uh, you can say Yangweza, which means, like, that, that damn oh, foreigner, if you're mad at him. That's a that's an, another diss. It means like it means like foreign monster. Wow, shit. Yeah, you, you don't hear that too much. I actually will say Guaylao a lot because it it makes people kind of uncomfortable because they know it's racist. The only the old people really say it around here regularly because they they actually only have one word for for a foreigner, which is Guaylao. The older well, they folks yell it out at you, or they'll say it. Yeah, they'll say yeah. it right to your face. Yeah, and it, you know it, it's on you to really to be offended by it because really it's right, like there's, yeah. they're saying you're a ghost. You know, they're, they're saying I'm dead. I guess you know that, that's not really that much of an insult. Like a pale looking, yeah, like white. Just you know, well, yeah, I mean Chinese are not necessarily dark. I mean they're uh, pretty pale. Some of them are. Some of them are. They they, they they hide from the sun big time. Like the, the women will go down the street with their their handbag across their face, trying to block the sun if they don't have an umbrella. And most of the time, they'll carry an umbrella even on a sunny day, just to uh, block the sun from making their skin darker. Because if you if you're darker, that means you're a, you're a worker. That means you're lower oh, class. Yeah. So, so it's you don't like want to do that. It's like a class thing. Huh? You don't want to get a tan because you 
that's strange. I mean, you think about like okay, in, in this in the states, people are going to tanning booths. They they don't gotta if you go up there if you if you're trying to open up a tanning booth in China you'd be, you'd be <laughs> yeah that wouldn't wouldn't go well yeah they sell whitening cream here for the ladies they they put cream on them that, that turns their skin whiter wow, so they look more crazy. more beautiful yep that's funny how it's you know yeah it's the inverse of what it is here but I saw Got this it. thing uh, like in Japan there's this uh, sort of style cultural movement and uh, i forget what it's called but these japanese and they look they look very odd but japanese because uh you know they'll they uh will have these artificial tans now and like blonde wigs and these uh crazy get-ups with like all kinds of like denim and glitter and crap they look like uh Something that may some kind of uh, uh, like a sideways version of something that would have been pretty popular in the eighties in the in the uh, states. You know, I, I don't know Gucci girls. I don't know what they call it, but it's it's pretty it's pretty out there. But uh, yeah, it's like a, a trend thing. And then I saw where uh, there were uh, American sort of. Uh, Oh shit! What they call them? Well, you know, maybe like writers for Cosmopolitan magazine or something like that. Culture creators, kind of uh, going over there and uh, uh, you know reporting on that trend and all that. And uh, it, it was pretty odd, but um, yeah, they really stand out because uh, you'll see them and they'll be like this artificial tan and crazy blonde wig and stuff and then they're, and then they're kind of they all well of course they're Japanese but uh yeah it, uh, yeah I've seen that in Hong Kong where they have the, the girls walk around in little Bo Peep dresses and stuff like that where they completely decked out in like these crazy ballroom gowns and they're just walking around doing their normal shopping or whatever and they look totally weird and everybody stares at them so I, I guess that's probably why they do it for the attention but it, it just seems so impractical. Huh. But it's sort of some some kind of a trendy it's thing. A fa- or it's fashion. Fa- yeah, it's, fashion. it's, it's, it's like a, a, a group like, like uh, cosplayers here. It's like they, they're, they're into their thing, and they, that's all they're into, and they, they do just that. So it's like they dress up like a, like a princess, or they dress up like, a, like a, a 50s greaser or whatever whatever their particular thing is. It's very strange. Yeah, I had this uh, friend of mine, and when I was going to art school and all that, he was from Japan, Japanese dude, and uh, he he spoke pretty good English. But you know, it was like, you know, he he wasn't hiding the fact that he was Japanese. I mean, you could tell. But the funny thing about him, he's like really heavily into rockabilly music, and uh, it's you know buying these. Uh, you know, expensive Gretsch guitars, these hollow body guitars and all that stuff. He was like really super into it. And it's like, wow, it's like, yeah, it, you know, back then I wasn't aware. It's like, wow, that's, that style of music is really popular in Japan and the whole greaser scene and all that. So, you know, later he's looking up on the internet. So yeah, that's a whole scene there. So they'll have bands over here 
that can't even get a record deal or anything and they go over tour japan and they like pack the house where they got these big uh you know uh, maybe not arenas but pretty big venue and they'll just you'd be packed full of like these japanese dudes that are all greasers and shit it's pretty crazy and yeah uh, they, in- they introduce music and stuff over here like a year before they have it in the states they'll have bands you'll see over here that that later on will become famous in the west and they they just bomb the the tv waves with their videos and just play them all the time trying to like st- stir up some sort of false movement for these guys and make them seem like they're really popular there's there's like the the, the Justin Bieber clones that they they never make it to the to the to, to North America but they over here they're like promoted everywhere and they tour and they're you know supposedly famous but they're they're really just the, the record companies trying to get them some traction so they can come over to the west huh wow yeah so yeah i imagine a lot, that a lot of crap uh, on tv <laughs> yeah sort of the 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 same kind of formula and you'll see it too in these yeah a lot of these asian countries now have the same kind of pop music formula style of uh like it's it's a lot like the western um pop musicians and stuff like that but they uh they have their own version of it and uh like uh yeah like iggy azalea you heard her, her? kind of sounds a, familiar i don't know well she's i hear about her now on on the, the western internet so she's i guess she's famous over there now too but for like two years they were pumping her stuff up over here before they sent her over to the to the u.s to to become famous and so she's kind of famous over here now i think so i think of her that's one of those she's, names she started out in china well she she wasn't in china but like all her stuff was played on TV here in, in Hong Kong, so it it uh, made her gave her enough of a following that they could send her to the U.S. and say she's huge in China or she's huge in you know Asia. Yeah, that would make sense because they got a big, well, of course, a bigger population there, and uh, yeah, could, uh, yeah, the number the number one beer in the world is uh, snow beer from from China. You ever heard of snow? snow beer yeah it's disgusting it's it's the the cheapest most nasty beer you can get it tastes kind of like a soda pop more than a beer oh gosh and it, it's it's number one in the world because there's you know so many people in china that that will you know a couple of them go down to the store every night and buy a beer and that's enough to to blow budweiser or anybody else off the map because they have enough people to buy it but nobody even has heard of it in the u.s snow beer wow but then it'll be coming to the states if it gets big enough. Sure. Yeah, like, yeah like because King- now we're seeing this where, you know, we have this culture in the West that everybody's kind of acclimated to over here because it's kind of old hat. But then they're, you know, introducing in these in these more kind of traditionally uh, rural kind of people that are kind of it's kind of new to them, and then it, it's getting to the point now where. You're starting to see, uh, well, probably, I, I don't see you're seeing so much of it now, but probably in the future you're going to be seeing a reversal of this cultural influence to where you, there's, there's going to be all these influences coming from China to the West instead of, the you know, what it is now where it's like a... Yeah, you're seeing it now with the, the movies. There's, you know, all, all the big blockbusters have at least one Chinese star in it now. 
and that's because the the all the theater or not theaters, but the, all the movie companies, all the the producers in Hollywood, they're uh, at the top. They're owned by Chinese companies. So the the U.S. doesn't even really make movies anymore. They're they're making them for their their Chinese overlords, and that sucks because uh, Chinese movies are the fucking worst, man. They are so bad. They're it's so always good. a. They're, they they advertise them as like an epic, like The Empire Strikes Back or something. They'll they'll make it look like it's the most exciting action movie in the world, and if you actually sit down and watch it, it's a, it's always a love story. It's a, it's just another soapy. So it, really? it's it's huh. always yeah. They, it's never what it what they say it is. It's it's the epic parts are like whatever was in the trailer, and then <laughs> the rest of it's just you know a man and a woman having a, a relationship fight because that's all they really seem to focus on in the. On TV is like the relationships between young men and women. That's the the, the big pull in China. That's pe- what people really like to watch: is two people falling in love. So or it's like a, a it's life. just a chick flick, basically. Everything yes. is a chick flick. Everything is a chick flick. Yes. Oh, that's it's, bizarre. It's a, and they have ones for the they have soap operas. All all the the, the dramas on TV are soap operas. And they they have soap operas that that just mainly women watch, and they the women behave differently than in the, in the the ones that the men watch. The men watch their own soap soap operas, and they're more like the old kung fu type, jumping around, flying in the air, crouching tiger, hidden dragon type stuff. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, the, the 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 women in, in both like in, in the men's soapies, the the women behave very docilely and very uh, you know like very calm and mousy. And in the, in the female ones, they're all sassy, and they they yell at their boyfriend, and they, uh, you know, they're always um, empowered. So <clears throat> most most young men and women here they they break up because they don't understand why the other person is is acting so strangely. But it's it's because their programming is telling them two different ways to behave with each other, and then they they get together and it it messes them up, so they they don't get along. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Like uh, culture creation and manipulation. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the same same thing is done in the West. You know, it's just probably harder to see because we're you know we're looking at something more familiar to us. But when you're when you're over here and you're looking at weird Chinese stuff, it it just jumps right out at you. Uh, that's why. Yeah, like you can really see it. See. It's really noticeable to you, huh? Because you can kind of parse it and look at it through. Uh, kind of the eyes of you you know and it's what it is you know you see it what it's for what it's for which is you know programming exactly yeah mm-hmm. so those types of movies where you got the sassy girlfriend kind of you know running her mouth and all that shit and then that mm-hmm. that is something that you'll see in movies mainly or the movies soaps and TV. Or, yeah everywhere but that'll be a certain type of genre i guess Right, yeah. The, the sassy chick is is a very de- is definitely a trope that they use here in China all the time, and the the stoic Chinese man who's, you know, always kind of one step ahead of everybody is the the male model that they give. So he's just kind of laid back and passive, and uh... yeah, too cool for too cool for school. You know, just he he, uh-huh. he knows what's going on, and, and everybody else around him is lost. But he, he's the one who sees his way through all the bullshit and never seems to work out that way in real life. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd like to take a look at some of that stuff. I don't, I mean, 
just for the to kind of you know analyze it and whatever. Yeah, the separation. Yeah, everybody who's into conspiracies would I think would totally benefit from taking a few months off and just hanging out in China and seeing how how they interact with each other. It, it totally holds up a mirror to how we interact with each other in a, in a different way, but in kind of the same way, just with different uh, different trappings. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're in a foreign country with all kinds of uh, you know different different ways of uh, you know societal norms and all that are gonna be different to an extent but then you know you could when you're looking at uh the propaganda and all that stuff you can really uh see it for what it is because you're kind of you're kind of in a more i guess uh objective position than you would be uh if you're kind of looking at something that's already custom tailored to you you know yeah that's why coming back is kind of daunting to me because that means i'm gonna have to really be reinserted back into the matrix again if i come back and stay full-time in the u.s and i don't know if i want to do that because when i left i i didn't know anything about anything i did you know i was completely brainwashed and then i started noticing things while over here what was going on back in the u.s and now i i don't know what the hell i would do with myself if i was you know knowing what i know now and and trying to be around you know the the sheep as everybody likes to call them that, that sounds really tough. Well, yeah, you um, have to re-acclimate. And, uh, yeah, because, you, you know, the it's going to really come back at you after you're kind of not uh, accustomed to it. And you're going to, yeah, it's going to stand out. It's like, a, well, I'm going to go to California on the 5th next month. Oh, right on. Stay a couple of weeks, about three weeks. Good to do some hiking? Uh, well, I'm going to go and help a buddy of mine. He's he's going to have a uh, like a soundproof room put into his uh, recording studio he's got in his house. So I was going to go help him with that and, you know, hang out and do some stuff there. And, uh, nice. Yeah, so he's got... Um, He's got the biggest freaking TV I've ever seen in my life. I remember last time I was there, I was talking about that. And, like, I don't watch television, so, like, being over there and watching his TV was like, I got kind of, like, motion sick or something. I don't know. It was kind of, it was, it was strange. Because, you know, like, I'm really not used to watching television. Uh, but then... You got this uh, sixty-inch plasma screen or whatever it is. It's it's so it's kind of taking up the whole room, and then you're you're sitting there watching it, and then and it's all this you know HD and all that stuff, you know, and it's and and it really hits you over the head. It's 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 pretty intense if you're not used to it, you know. Yeah, I have the same problem. It, I, I feel sucked into it, as, and I can feel myself being sucked into it, so I usually end up just watching the people with me watching TV. I just look at them because that's, you know, preferable. And then that's kind of sad, too, because you can see that they're completely checked out. They're, they could be anywhere right now. They're, they're, they're sitting next to you watching TV, but they're a million miles away in their head. It's a bummer. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like, you know, the Zen TV experiment. You've heard of that, right? Uh, uh-uh. what's that? It's like you can, uh, well, you watch, if you watch a television, try to watch it without the sound. And then, uh, just look right at on. the imagery. And then, or you can do the, you know, reverse. You can cover the screen or whatever and, and just listen to the, uh, audio it just kind of as an observer you know like a objectively you kind of you, and it's a good way to kind of get it well you, you get a you get a better impression of the kind of manipulation and the strangeness of it yeah i'll try that all right i'm gonna take off dude nice talking again later but later chris all right jim yeah take care man yeah i didn't I don't know, the music maybe was drowning me out there, bro, but uh, that means it's time to start closing up shop, run the mop, and close her up. All right, who's here still? Oh, avid coffee drinker. Coho Bobo in the chat. Jimmy China. Jimmy Boy. Map Chick. Luminous Arcana. Soul Power. Talk Shoe Troublemaker. Tiny Man Radio Werewolf. Thanks for coming out. Good to have you all here checking it out. Checking out Hoax Buffy's Call. Do it on Monday night. I moved the time back an hour to 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central Time. Six o'clock Pacific time. See how I did all that math in my head. Going back to between time zones. I like to practice that, keep my brain sharp. Uh yeah. Um Oh yeah, hoaxbusterscall.com. It's not really a full blown blog, but I post some stuff of interest on there from time to time. Videos and whatnot and so forth. And um Oh yeah, check out uh, fakeologist.com and check out uh, other side links I got on the blog there. Some interesting stuff. And um, yeah, good deal. Abacop Drinker's been listening for years. Wow, cool. And this is the first time you made it out live. Well, awesome. Glad you made it. Hopefully you can tune in next Monday. 9 o'clock Eastern. 8 o'clock. See, I'm. Yeah. 8 o'clock Central and 6 o'clock Pacific Time. And maybe call in if you so desire. Hoaxbusters call. That's right. That's right! Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
Chumba. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.